passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello everyone, it's John Pollock here alongside Waiting, two individuals that are part of the 18 to 49 demographic. How are you, Way? Oh, yeah. 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 Yes, we are. We should state that. Uh, that should be our in our bios, really. You know, I've gone through many opinions of all of this ratings discussion that seems to have hit peak insanity over the last week. I think I'm at a place now where I greatly enjoy it. I think it's officially become entertaining. Oh, good. I mean, it's it, it's all in the way of, of how you interpret it. Um, well, what changed it for you? I, I don't think I had a strong opinion, to be quite honest. Like, I'm, I'm not one that when I see everyone arguing about all this stuff that I have, like, some kind of a emotional response to any of it. It's more so just amusing and also just stuff I have no desire to partake in, but I'm fine to have my popcorn on the side and just observe. But I, I will say like it was, uh, it, it was, I, I did find it fairly entertaining tonight. I think that's a great way to observe any sort of debate. No yeah. I, I mean, I'm just cool. It's, it's like when you're walking home late at night and there may be some drunk dudes that are going to get into a fight on the street and, I mean, it's not anything I would want to participate in, and it's it's kind of like nothing that you're really uh, happy to be seeing, but you do kind of want to just watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I feel the same way, but 
you know, it, it's there and, and it's now being used as story. Is a good ammunition for a heel? Mm-hmm. Or do you feel like this is too inside? Um... Because I, I had I had both I had both takeaways tonight. I think it, it works for a segment of the audience, but I also could see it being so much that you can't see the forest from the trees when you're catering to that level of niche that's um, fully on board with that. But maybe it's it's quite a larger audience than we give credit for. I think for AEW's particular audience, I think it it probably works a lot better than it would WWE. Uh, you know, we're talking about an audience that has re- reacted really well to things that, you know, ha- have really kind of sprung up. I mean, the audience has sprung up from being the elite, which is something that was exclusively online. So I think, you know, everything, all the groundwork, I suppose, that they were laying in the weeks prior uh, on Twitter, uh, it, it kind of lends itself to, you know, the TV presentation, too. I just wish that we could go back just to one episode of Nitro. Like as as Raw had taken over and Eric Bischoff comes out and says, you know, these television ratings are pretty instantaneous, but, you know, our business lives and dies on buy rates and live attendance figures. <laughs> and let's go over our buys. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's kind of what the equivalent would have been in, in 1998, where, I mean, TV numbers were a nice bragging point, but I mean, there was a fraction of the money to be made today. Yeah, I mean, we will talk a bit about this a bit more in the body of the review, but I, I will say I think this to me feels like it's AEW's among the, one of their bigger steps towards like sort of like you know playing into the the whole um, Wednesday Night War thing when you know it feels like it is like chanting up at at the person who won. You know what I mean? It is when 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 usually if you have the superior position, you don't really have to say anything. It and I understand it's a heel who's saying all this stuff in Chris Jericho, but did make to me like NXT look like you know, uh, look like the I don't know the leader in not having to even address it. I I guess so because what you get down to is a kind of sore loser. Well, it's like you you have your your two sides that every Thursday will argue which side won. So it comes down to like these two distinct sides that are arguing who is the one punching up versus punching down. Like that's what this all stems from. And AEW, I think, has kind of leaned into it, whereas I'm with you. There is no way I would envision – forget on television, but Paul Levesque even – necessarily going out of his way to take what would be perceived as a shot. Because I think in Paul's mind, I think he does believe that we are WWE and they are the startup. And right. doesn't decipher like NXT as kind of this, this offshoot that if we're just they're, comparing one to the other. Well, their shots are more, um, we're going to counter-program you on a week's notice. Uh, but we're not going to admit that it's a shot. But we, we don't we don't counter-book. It's just because this is the time. This is the midway point between takeovers. They're throwing shots either way, I suppose. You know, and and and, and uh, I I guess you know to me like AEW's playbook throughout this entire period has mainly been to not necessarily you know add fuel to that fire and just put on good shows, ignoring really kind of like the the hysteria surrounding it all. And again, I understand this is a heel saying it all. So I think in in that sense, it it actually works. 
Um, but I, I do too. Like I, I think Jericho is just had a lot of fun with this whole yeah. thing. That's great for his character. But to to a larger point, like here are both shows, and let's just say AEW. Okay, we, we've seen where their viewership is right now, and we'll we'll put the demos aside for the sake of this argument. But do you feel that they are not ser- servicing a certain fan base? That does want to see this stuff, that does want to get those little digs in that are going to be those, oh, my God, I can't believe he said that kind of moment. Do you think that AEW um, mm. feels the need that maybe maybe we need some of this in this fight and it's going to it, – it's just throwing uh, throwing fish at the sharks? Possibly. I mean, you know, I was a I was a big fan of, like, Taz's comment about the sloppy ship because I – Everyone went nuts about that line. It's like – it strikes a nerve with a certain fan base that, as I mentioned, like the other day, like romanticizes that Monday Night War. And that's what they want out of these two shows on Wednesday. I suppose, though, for me, like part of the difference is that I felt like the way Taz did it made AEW look like the cooler show. Whereas, again, I qualify this with, you know, Chris Jericho being sort of like almost like a dorky leader type of heel saying this stuff. But like him saying what he said tonight kind of makes AEW look like the inferior brand who has to remind us that, hey, we technically won everybody. And I will I will say the same, but like the way I think Tony Khan's been tweeting too. It it it, it doesn't, necess- and again, it, it could all be by design as exactly what you had said, John, just to kind of add a bit more interest to it. But t- for me, like one of the, the bigger effects of it is that it's almost like, you know, um, it's like, you know, um, the AEW trying to suddenly make a lot of noise to remind everybody, hey, we are still number one. Don't don't, uh, you know, look at us as number two when I feel like, you know, the superior company will, would be the one who doesn't give a shit either way. Or to the fan that is not so much following ratings, which I would believe would be a significant percentage that here's on a promo in AEW. Uh, the other show has more viewers and po- pointing that out that I would imagine a lot of people that of the 700 plus thousand that are regulars every week on AEW, I would say a good amount of them are not going to show Buzz Daily on Thursdays or going to sites like ours. No, but, but, but a, a, enough of them are that, and, like, and they're going on Twitter stuff. or they're going on Reddit where this stuff is just like, man, it's I mean, it's really part of the the appeal of this Wednesday night war, isn't it? You know, the fact that they're going head to head and we every Thursday at three o'clock or four o'clock have numbers to see what the score was last night. It's, it's part of the fun and the misery, I suppose of it all. Well, we'll get into more of that into the body of the show, but uh, off the top uh, way, we have a new t-shirt that we have released and we're, Raising funds this week, uh, the first week of profits for this shirt are going to two uh, very worthy causes. You want to talk a little bit about this announcement we had on our final MCU review on Tuesday night? Yeah, our uh, patrons, of course, will know that we just released our Spider-Man Far From Home review, which concludes our 23 podcast run. Nearly two years of MCU reviews. We've done every one of them up until this point, and to celebrate the conclusion of them, we have hired our very good friend and the very talented and the recently engaged Robert Pearson to nailed it design it. Yes, I got it right this time to design a t-shirt for us. And he took a look at my face, John, he took a look at your face and he said, you know what? These guys, superheroes, their physiques. I mean, come on, clear, clear, clear doppelgangers 
for Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. And of course, who better to play Steve Rogers than John Pollock in a brand new t-shirt that we have up right now at store.postwrestling.com. And as John said, until July 21st, which is next Tuesday, all profits from sales of this t-shirt will go towards a split donation for two very special causes. Uh, the first of which is the Canadian, uh, the CLLDF, which stands for the Canadian Comic Legends Legal Defense Fund and their retailer assistance program, which supports Canadian comic book retailers affected by COVID-19. Uh, the second this one was actually chosen by our friend and guest of uh, our Endgame review, Nate Milton. And this one goes towards the NAACP's Legal Defense Fund, which supports civil rights litigation, legislation, advocacy, and scholarships for outstanding students of color. So uh, until July 21st, every uh, we aren't going to make a single thing. Everything we make will be directed towards both of these uh, 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 sp- very special causes. So store.postwrestling.com. Um, if you want to take a look at the shirt, you can probably scroll down to the show description right now and find a link to it. Otherwise, go to our Instagram, our Twitter Facebook, or just directly at store.postwrestling.com to have a look at this beautiful, beautiful t-shirt. It looks wonderful. I mean, we have, we've gotten a lot of compliments for this shirt, which, I mean, all compliments go to Robert Pearson. And, of course, Jack Kirby. Yes, yes. Rest in peace. Uh, why don't we give one of those away right now to a lucky patron? We are going to give away one of these uh, limited edition post-wrestling shirts, and this draw is open to all members of the post wrestling cafe. So this week you got rewind to raw live Friday night. We got rewind to SmackDown live. And now, uh, you are up for the chance to win this t-shirt way has got the official post wrestling tumbler. He is shaking the names around. He is taking out the, uh, the, the ball and he is reading the name. He is looking at the exact pronunciation and he's going to give it a go. It's a tough name, but here it is. Congratulations to Daniel Lloyd from Brooklyn, <laughs> New York. I mean, I don't know if I could come, come up with an easier name or a place to read out, but congratulations to you, Daniel Lloyd from Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yes. Uh, you win a t-shirt. Brooklyn, the home of Steve Rogers himself. How about that? Amazing. Uh, so there you go, everybody. And store.postwrestling.com is where you can go uh, get said T-shirt. And, of course, every Wednesday we do a draw for an item from the store. All right. Let us move on now. And uh, we don't have too many news items here, but uh, we do have to talk about dun-dun-dun ratings. I am... I don't really want to break down so much like this week's number, but just have a, a bit of an overall discussion with you, Way. So Raw on Monday did 1,561,000 viewers, and they were. Th- this would be the lowest audience uh, in the history of Raw where we have data available for viewership. Uh, it had a new first hour low of 1,580,000, and then the other two hours, uh, 1,599 and 1,504,000. So what we saw here was, okay, an all-time low viewership, that's bad. Demo was only down 2%. And while it seems that there is a a drop in interest overall, because we're seeing that the first hour is not even propping up the show, those that are tuning in, a lot of them are sticking around for the whole show. So it would feel like we are at a, I don't know if we can say the floor of what Raw is going to do, especially when we've got major sports returning. 
Um, let's start there. Like a month from now, once we're talking about NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, uh, all these other potential uh, competitors, like do you see Raw um, going further down? Like where do you think we're going to be talking about Raw a, a month from now? I, I don't think we've hit the bottom yet. You know, like if if right now the only people watching are the people that watch the entire show. So you would presume maybe these might be the most hardcore of the hardcore at this point. I mean, don't think for a second that that can't be continued to, you know, uh, strip, uh, continue to go down and be stripped away. Mm. I think uh, we've heard from plenty of people who, you know, you still listen to the show or might still listen to the show that would watch pretty consistently, but have just dropped off week after week. And um, you know, whether or not there's, uh, you know, the, the factor of outside competition in other sports, uh, taking the place of, of these people's times or just other things or just being fed up with uh, Monday night's wrestling or Friday night's wrestling. Um, I, I definitely don't think it's the end of this weathering of, of, uh, viewership. So if you were in WWE right now, understanding, especially the current set of circumstances where these recent tapings, I mean, we, we are talking about, um, talent that was not available, but I mean, throughout the whole pandemic, where is your uh, rate of alarm? If you're looking at this number this week, is it on the high scale? Is it moderate? Or are you not as concerned given a lot of the parameters that they're working under right now? That's that's sort of the other thing too is, you know, like so this, this, these several shows, um, they've been essentially working through a big crisis of uh, having a very limited roster, trying to, you know, I, I imagine bulk shoot uh, shows that are probably hastily put together at the last minute, given, you know, uh, plans that might have been, you know, mm-hmm. thwarted by unavailable talent. That goes for Raw and SmackDown. So the question is, are they even in a position to improve when I almost get the sense that they're trying their best just to stay afloat to produce five, seven hours of content every single week? Mm-hmm. And more, really. Um, nonetheless, I'm, I'm sure they're not happy about this, and I'm sure every single week they are reassessing what we can do to get to get those numbers back up. Um, I guess the question for you is: I mean, we saw brief um, increases once you know Pritchard supposedly took over, but that's not continued. So we got two weeks out of that. So uh, you know, ultimately, how much? how much blame do you think can be put in the Paul Heyman experiment and um, what changes can they make at this point? So this is what I gave a lot of thought to today was, okay, let's, let's just presume, you know, for these next set of tapings, it's back to, they have, let's just say 90% of the talent they have available. We can leave out, you know, 10% for whatever reason, maybe they don't have access to. And then you start to look at, okay, how do you offset losses and then even a step further? If you were to want to try and get back to your 2 million viewers a week, like what, what is in your playbook um, to, to do? Like, I don't think it's this easy answer of just like coming up with, with some ideas. Like I could probably come up with 10 ideas that would represent, you know, for one week we could get the number up. But it's going to be something that has to be sustained within this program. And I think a lot of it ties around finding that that breakout star that is going to have such an impact that only comes around so often. And I do feel based on, you know, the 
the trajectory of, you know, this generation, it's been very hard for WWE to kind of harness that star and to be able to protect them and, and be able to build a show around that person. And instead we get a lot of talent that just blends into the program. And it's, we, we don't have those stars that, that stick out to such a degree um, with. So right now, like I would imagine just as you said, like, I think there should certainly be concern about this because regardless of the pandemic, it's like numbers are falling at a pretty fast rate. And yes, you can look at where they still rank among cable. These are still very respectable numbers on, on cable, but you're still losing people. And that's a bad sign. And I can't pin that just on, well, it's empty arena shows. Like we've seen losses from that, but I mean, this is... That's what we're looking at for the foreseeable future. So I'd be trying to stop the bleeding, but this show has to decide, is it just, we're just trying to hot shot for this week and next week and just offset losses, or are we trying to use this period to rebuild, retool, and come up with like a different, I think presentation might be too too much to expect, but a different kind of uh, presentation that people can look at and be engaged in in raw um and smackdown as, as well like i think that this period if it's just simply looking at offsetting weekly losses we might look back at this this could have been a retooling time a rebuilding time where ratings are not you can't live and die by them every week but they are in such a disparity at this point that i feel massive changes need to be made and whatever they had with paul Heyman. They dismissed that that theory to go with this new direction, and it's, to, to be fair, probably too early to assess what Raw is going to be this many weeks in. You know, and that's the thing, too, is, like, there's always a clamoring for change. Like, you know, everything that we're discussing right now is the same conversation I feel like we've we've been having for several years as these numbers have continued to go down. But um, for all the, I think, you know... Um, I guess backlash that they might have received for taking Paul Heyman out of position to not see his plans through. I mean, if they were to change right now, is that too early and not giving Bruce, Bruce Pritchard a fair enough shake to have his plans, you know, come through? Well, I'd also argue one, I mean, granted, this is ultimately Vince McMahon, but Bruce Pritchard now overseeing two shows, that to me is just, I wouldn't want to put anyone in that position requiring you know five hours of television every week um i just think that's a huge workload and granted i mean there's a writing staff there um but yeah i i think that you know the from all indications and we saw this on television that during that that year of Heyman was introducing a lot of fresh faces but that requires a lot of patience and especially during this time period where it's very hard to get a sense on who's getting over who's clicking like this is almost a write off period and to to say that like to say we're going to give you 8 months to just we're not going to worry about numbers we just want in 8 months we have a few acts that are rising up and are going to be those stars that's a fine it's like rebuilding a sports franchise but it doesn't come with the guarantee that dedicating yourself to a rebuild means you're going to be in the playoffs next season there's no guarantee and it's a big sacrifice that you're taking by uh you know throw, throwing a lot of people onto television that might not stick and it becomes very easy to just scrap that idea and suddenly hey let's just hot shot 
Randy Orton and Big Show or do this thing with Christian or do do things that are going to be one week fixes instead of a huge uplifting where you're you're going to change the, the the dynamic of the program entirely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I I'm always curious whenever perhaps we get into situations like these. Um, you know, ultimately it's it's the patterns that I think matter the most. Um, this week was certainly alarming, but I mean, they've been down and they've snapped back up. You know, afterwards for whatever reason. So we shall. And see. next week, sh- next week should be up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, following the pay per view, and you've got that Orton match. Like I, I would be stunned if. Raw does not see at least some increase, but and, uh, and we've just been through it with NXT, where like several weeks ago they were down in like you know the six hundred thousand range, and this these past two weeks they've they've beaten AEW in the overall at at almost like you know eight hundred or at like seven fifty or seven sixty. Um, so uh, certainly, like you can point to perhaps booking decisions that have uh, resulted in in that. And I think if you judge like the overall quality of Raw, um, you could definitely find many areas where they should be and could be improving. Uh, so those are definitely, I think, areas to answer. Uh, at the same time, I'm not even completely convinced that like a better show at this point is enough to to save this show. Um, and how much is it of just you know the audience just not wanting to watch any more wrestling beyond what they already have available, and you know having to dedicate themselves for three hours? Every Monday. Yeah. And I know that, you know, it'll be brought up that, you know, the the demo number this week, it didn't drop all that much. But I think if you look over time, like if we're looking to last fall, um, Raw was doing like, I'm just looking here. Okay. This was a, uh, a month of October, 0. 0.75, 0. 0.74, 0. 0.75, 0. 0.72. This week we did a 0.48. So that's what we're looking at demo wise just in nine months. Now now how does that compare to the rest of TV? Uh I mean I don't have the what, what was their ranking this week? This week they were third, fifth, and sixth, I want to say. So I mean they're still like very high on uh on cable mm-hmm. on Monday nights. Um Yeah. So do you think that they're do you think that's all they're they care about? You know, the as Chris Jericho said, it's the demo that matters. I, I mean, it's a it's a hugely important factor. Um, I, I would just look at like I feel like there is this false sense that when everything returns to normal, that all these people are going to come back, and I think that that's I, I think that's very presumptuous. Uh, like, certainly there are going to be people that are tuning out because well, we don't know when things are coming back. Well, that's it. And the longer this goes, the more that grows my concern of like these these fans that went somewhere and where where are they coming back from? Uh, I think the longer you have broken that habit, um, this is just the format of this show. I think that it's going to be tough that when fans come back, I think there's going to be a huge lag of audiences coming back as well. I guess my question is, uh, where are these fans going? Because they're not necessarily going to watch the other shows on television. So what are they doing on a Monday? You know, is it a streaming platform? Is it Animal Crossing? Uh, are they re- rewatching Hamilton over and over? Uh, it, it, the, Ham- the Hamilton effect has not been explored thoroughly uh, yet. Um, maybe they're watching uh, 90 Day Fiance. Below Deck Mediterranean, um, more 90 Day Fiance, um, those and Tucker Carlson. Beat, are those those the shows that beat Raw? Yes. Raw was uh, 
Raw was uh, third, fifth, and sixth. Ninety Day Fiance won the night on TLC. Okay, um, haven't seen that one. Uh, sure, it's great. This thing dominated on on Monday. Okay, let's. Uh, I just wanted to ch- chat a bit because uh, Tony Khan did uh, the media rounds promoting Fight for the Fallen, and he touched on. Um, there were some interesting quotes uh, throughout these interviews. The first was from uh, PW Insider, and this is what he said that. Um, when the pandemic began, began we we since the pandemic began, we haven't let anybody go. Uh, I can't do that forever. Eventually, this company has to sever ties with people. But so far, we haven't let anybody go. And there's a lot of people overseas right now that have not been able to get over here. And at some point, I had to look at how sustainable that is with travel. But to date, we've kept everybody on. Um, he goes on to say, obviously, we do huge gates and we had tons of big six figure gates coming up every single week. And it's millions and millions and millions of dollars. Sounds like Titus O'Neil here uh, of dollars in gate receipts that are gone and we'll never get that now. People always say you can go and you can do those arenas later. And it's like, yeah, but we would have done that anyway. We do every Wednesday. We've lost months and months of revenue that we won't get back. And that's OK. I mean, there's people with bigger problems in the world than this. And if we were a tiny company that was hamstrung and didn't have financial resources, then we wouldn't be able to sustain it. A company that didn't have our resources would have almost certainly laid off a lot of people and let people go. But it wasn't the right thing for us to do at the time. Uh, So this is not the first time. I do remember when he did one of the AEW podcasts, he did indicate that, you know, at some point we might have to make some cuts. And I think he's kind of painting that picture now that, you know, AEW has certainly, you know, they, they do not have the cushion that a WWE does. And he's preparing the staff and, and the wrestling world. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, they are certainly ones that are that much more reliant on those live gates. And, you know, had they not signed that new TV deal in January, um, you know, that they were very lucky on, on that timing front that that deal got completed in January and was not held off too much longer um but they yeah it's it certainly like there are probably a lot of you know there's a ton of lost revenue for this company no doubt oh yeah absolutely um you know a lot of i think what we often discuss on, on these shows is like whether or not these shows should be occurring you know because of everything that's been going on how safe are these shows and i i absolutely think that it's it's important to hear the other side too the side of the business owner who you know, without running these shows, without getting this these TV, uh, the TV money that's coming in, this company might, you know, he might not be able to justify this company existing, and um, it's 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 the it's the very difficult balance that I think, I mean, all of America and the world is having to you know ask themselves right now what is fit, like what is a, a, an appropriate amount of risk to take in order to ensure that you know uh, jobs are secure. And and people can you know continue to uh, I don't know have have uh, have work and, and have their livelihoods. Um, it's I will say it's 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 refreshing to be able to hear like a company owner talk like this rather than perhaps you know try to dance around the subject. I feel like he laid it out pretty pretty well here. Like we have to run these shows and we'll probably have to cut people soon. Like that's that's kind of what I took away from it. Uh, to the New York Post, he talked about the Sammy Guevara and Jimmy Havoc situations. He said he suspended both. Um, let's just go on here. With Sammy, I think the right thing to do is to suspend him. The comments he made were horrible. I can't defend them. I can't even comment on them because they're unspeakably bad. He has also done a different kind of counseling, and he's in a different kind of counseling. And 
and a different kind of coaching. Everybody here, male and female, pretty much up and down the roster we talked to, felt like Sammy had no history of this kind of behavior. Really, people were shocked Sammy had said that. Certainly, it's an old clip. I think the video was four years old. I had never seen that video, and it's something I would have addressed with him before Sammy started here. I never had an opportunity to address it because I didn't know it existed. Uh, with Jimmy Havoc, he said... Uh, Jimmy really needed the counseling. If and when he were to wrestle again, the most important thing for himself and everybody here is that he sought treatment and counseling. When he asked for that help, we're going to help him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and from there, um, yeah, he did this other one just about, um, well, we, we, we've kind of already gone over this. He talked about the, uh, the difference between the, uh, the demos and the, uh, the viewership. So um yes that has been been outlined already but yeah he did quite a number of interviews and it's uh interesting just to hear his uh insight into several of these uh subjects all right uh before we move on here um bellator is going to be back next friday july 24th they're doing a show at in uncasville connecticut at mohegan sun and it's going to be headlined by Sergio Pettis and uh, Ricky Bendejas, as well. Aaron Pico is going to fight on that card, as is uh, Jordan Meehan. And yes, this will be their first card back uh, since February. So Bellator running there. Uh, they're running an empty arena show, but this is like in an actual arena. So I don't know how that's going to look on television. It's going to be a far cry from the Apex or uh, Abu Dhabi at the Flash Forum, which as we as we're speaking, there's a UFC card going on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Wednesday. Um, how much do you think that'll affect tonight's ratings? I, I think that both shows are going to get hit tonight. It's it's not just uh, UFC. NASCAR, uh, they were right? NASCAR. They were having like uh, their all star race, and like it sounds like they were having like a big crowd for this race as well. I think it's like one of the biggest like sporting events that have happened so far. Oh wow! Okay, so. Um, it was the UFC prelims. It wasn't the main card, but I still feel those prelims are probably probably going to do very well. So I I can see both NXT and AEW getting hit tonight mm -hmm. uh, yeah. as a combination. Uh, okay, so let's move on to AEW. Unless you had anything else to add, way. Uh, hey, let's talk about a bit about what's coming up on the on the network this week. Yes, let's. Uh, on Friday, we're going to be going live. 10 15 p.m eastern time with rewind to smackdown we will be back to our live format this week and whatever happens on smackdown which will be a new show done on friday yes it will be yes new show. heading okay, into so extreme rules the horror show at extreme rules the pay-per-view <laughs> the eye extraction the bar fight um when are they whatever when are they taping it which friday show smackdown it's being done on Friday. Oh, it's live, or is it? Like, I, I don't know if it's tape? live. I, I think it might be live to tape. They'll probably do it earlier. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. But um, and then we got Extreme Rules on Sunday. Um, shows for this weekend on the site. Saturday night we'll have a post show after Slam Reversary with Nate Milton and Davey Portman uh, joining me. And then Sunday night it's Way and I. We'll be going live for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members of the cafe with our review of Extreme Rules and taking your phone calls, which. I think we'll get quite a few phone calls after that show. Just my guess. Uh, yeah, I think so too. I think it, there's going to be a lot to talk about either way. So um, I look forward to the discussion. And I wanted to remind everybody about our friends at Up Next and all the content that they've got up uh, this week. And right now, actually, if you go on their free feed, you can find 
a preview of their Patreon, a free show that they have uploaded called Best Match Ever. This one looking at the top five matches from the New Japan Cup. So if you want your recommendations, if you want to hear people talk about who the standouts were thus far in New Japan since their return, uh, you can listen to this free show up available at the Up Next feed. Of course, they've got Up Next talking about tonight's... Uh, um, I, I guess uh, Io Shirai Tegan Knox title match. Mm-hmm. Um, that's up on their feed probably by the time you're listening to this. And then on Sunday, those guys will be doing an Extreme Rules watch along for free on youtube.com slash up next. So you can check all that out from our friends at the BDE. Well, I promise during one match, I will be flipping over to make sure I see Braden's reaction. Oh, goodness. Yeah, the eye match. Oh, yeah. It's tailor made for a, a watch along. Which I mean, the swap one of the participants too. might not be able to watch along after. Oh goodness! Wow. Well, too bad for him. Okay, so check out all of that. And final plug is for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. You can check out our review of Spider Man Far From Home, which is up for Cafe members, uh, which we did Tuesday night. Uh, our final look at the MCU films that took us two years to go through all twenty three of them. We did twenty three of them. Yeah, we also announced our next movie review series and uh well just listen to it i don't want no spoilers on this show yep at the at the end of this i just said yo way (laughs) we did it we finished the mcu films it was a remarkable achievement Mm -hmm. i could uh i could i could go run if i because i had so much energy after that review we could frolic on the beach yeah Yes, uh, hit stake. Okay, Fight for the Fallen, AEW's latest uh, special. Do you know what the lead-in was for AEW in Canada on TSN2? <laughs> I saw the tail end of it. I had no idea what the <laughs> Oh, me too. Was. We both tuned in probably. Trailmaster, we- Trails, what is this? This is Steel Timber Sports, which is competitive woodcutting. And oh. I was like almost kicking myself that I didn't tune in earlier. Because I only got to see the two minutes at the end of this where this dude, all I heard was the guy, the TSN sent a guy to like cover this and is taught, sometimes it's the cut, sometimes it's the operator, but you're going to the finals regardless. It's like, there is so much I want to learn about this world, this uh, sport, I will loosely identify it as, but the fact that competitive woodcutting is our lead in that's the state of the sports world for Canadian broadcasters during COVID-19. Was this actually like something that that's been taking place now or, or I mean, I don't know. No, I am sure this is classic competitive woodcutting. Right. Right. Well, uh, I'm sure there's a uh, competitive woodcutting podcast that's out there talking about, do you know what followed competitive woodcutting today? Oh God. Wrestling. Oh my God. I can't believe You know there's been injuries in this in this thing. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. The fi- the the sawing Ooh. and you gotta like I don't know if it's like if you you get more if you're Can rewarded you- more for like a thinner slice or <laughs> thinner like slice. I there's just so much I <laughs> wanted you, to learn about this. Can you imagine like whatever scandals might take place in this industry? Like can you imagine a dark side of competitive woodcutting? Oh god, man. Uh Lumberjack Larry, his A sample came back positive oh, and goodness. we've uh we've gone to uh uh WADA uh, has overseen the uh, the drug <laughs> testing and uh the B sample will be probably is going to re- reflect the A sample. <laughs> like all like- guy, get, guy gets 2 years for uh uh, having like uh, boldenone in his system. Like instead of like, you know, dealing with the FCC, they deal with like environmentalists, you know? <laughs> T- 
Timber! Larry falls to drug testing chaos. Championship in in flux. I think we should take next week off from wrestling and just review competitive woodcutting. I, I would seriously, man, for a one-off, I would totally watch this, okay? I'm I'm so glad that you caught this just as I did. I don't think I've ever tuned in to AEW like a few minutes early. It was just by chance. It's, this not, must, every, it's not every week. That, that, it probably isn't on every week. I'm sure I would have noticed this before, but man, was I glad that my world it, came into contact with this. I mean, is there a more Canadian sport than this? Uh, no. This and curling are the pillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fight for the fallen begins, and they uh, they promoted the uh, the two funds that they are raising money for um, for COVID nineteen relief, including uh, Florida's first coast relief fund, and then there was another one. I don't have the name here. I believe it was like uh, Feed Florida Fund, something to that effect as well. So those were the two that they were selling the T shirt to raise funds for. And then Jim Ross noted that Taz was on commentary with him and Excalibur. Uh, because Tony Shavani's COVID test did not come back in time. Mm-hmm. So as a really precautionary measure, Shivani was was off. And we saw, I'm not going to say everybody, but there were a lot of masks on. So I was happy to see that. Yeah, fa- face masks seemed to be introduced, uh, particularly for the people ringside. Uh, yes, it was not every single person. Um, and certainly, like, as you get further into the, like, cameras and with the crowd in the back... Uh, it it didn't seem like it was mandatory there, but at least the ringside, several of the ringside uh, extras, I suppose at this point, you can call them that, uh, were wearing masks. But you do notice like throughout the night, <laughs> these masks coming were coming down. off. Like, I mean, yeah. they looked rather uncomfortable. And, and, and I would say it's, it's different. These are different situations, but like, you know, WWE, they are strictly enforcing not six feet of social distancing, but at least like, you know distancing between the two in aew they're packed like they're packed as close as they were like on the all the other weeks uh again they are being tested but uh you know for this show promoting like you know fundraisers for for covid uh covid19 causes i i I think it would have been a bad look if you didn't have uh you know people in ringside wearing wearing these face masks i i think it's yeah it's Listen, it, it was a it was a marked improvement, and you know still I still room for improvement. I mean, yes, to me, yes. like at this point, I guess UFC would be the, the standard, but but in wrestling, to me, a uh, New Japan is the standard. Seeing how careful they're they're presenting it, um, distancing even their announcers, taking pauses in between the matches to show you then show show the audience that they're disinfecting, um, separating the crowd. When they are, they are do do have a crowd and to enforce face masks for everybody, and that's Japan. We're talking Florida here, which is a totally different story. Yeah, uh, where like there was literally a, a moment where someone had taken like their bandana down to yell to the guys in the ring, and it's again okay. Anyone that thinks we're being too o- overly critical here, that's fine. But this is, I I definitely am focused more because this is in. Florida. Mm. And I think that we have seen a lot of other shows uh, that have, you know, some slower than others, but they have gotten to this point. And I think with AEW, uh, I was at least happy to see uh, like a predominant increase in masks. But as Wei said, room for improvement still exists here. Yes. So our first match was Cody and Sonny Kiss, who came out with the Jaguars cheerleaders to do a routine. And 
The match begins, and Cody immediately goes after Kiss with this this running kick. And the story of this match became that once Kiss started to uh, find a rhythm, uh, it was distra- it was getting under Cody's skin where he was frustrated and was making a lot of mental errors. And I thought that the announcers did a really great job of telling this story, Arn Anderson conveying this through his facial reactions at ringside, and Sonny Kiss just started to have a lot of success here. Um, Hit the axes and O's, which was an axe kick to the ribs, and then uh, missed with the splits off the turnbuckle, which Jim Ross said, that would kill me. The crossroads gets countered, and Sonny Kiss hits the crossroads uh, for a two-count. And there are lots of cutaways to Tully Blanchard watching. And they were, I would say, tonight was the most they were hitting you in terms of Tully Blanchard scouting Cody and FTR. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're ramping that one up and uh, letting you draw your own conclusions. Uh, we saw 450 from Sonny Kiss, um, and then Sonny Kiss got dumped onto the ramp and hit with an Alabama slam, and Cody gets Sonny Kiss into the ring, goes for the cover, but he has his feet under the bottom rope, which Aubrey Edwards won't make the cover. And again, they're pointing out Cody is making a lot of mental mistakes. He hits Din's fire, which is the vertebraker. Sonny Kiss kicks out, and then follows with a superplex, takes off the turnbuckle padding, but Sonny Kiss reverses, sending Cody into the buckle, and this leads to a big near fall for Sonny Kiss, and then delivers some big forearms, and finally, Cody reverses, hits the crossroads, and wins in 10 minutes and 44 seconds. But they tried to make this not just a competitive match, but trying to push you to the brink to believe that Sonny Kiss might pull off this upset, which was, I would say, an uphill battle for this match. I don't think anyone was coming into this with that belief, and you probably didn't get there, but I I did like what they tried to do here. Like, Cody was, like, this was the most, um, you know, just the errors that he was committing throughout the match that they focused on. Mm -hmm. I thought they did a good job. I mean, you know, these are all going to be showcases for the challengers for Cody Rhodes and they're always going to be underdog battles and um the, there there might be a day that comes when you have like somebody on the level of a sunny kiss without any real prior push actually beat Cody to really like you know give you that shocking victory but I didn't really expect it tonight and um instead you know the best you could hope for is that people remember sunny kiss after a performance like this um, I would say that they did well. I think Sonny Kiss did well. You know, technically, I thought the match came across really well. Uh, it was definitely booked to be, you know, a pretty bi- epic challenge for Sonny Kiss, as they all seem to be. Um, something, something to me felt a little bit lacking here compared to maybe like a previous Cody match. In in and that might be just due to the atmosphere. I I, I sensed the crowd throughout the show maybe a little bit quieter this week. I don't know if that's due to, you know, fewer people being in, in attendance, perhaps, or maybe it was actually people getting used to the mass. I, I can't really answer that. But, you know, if that's a sacrifice that we have to live with with safety for safety, that's, you know, completely understandable. But as a performance, I thought Sonny Kiss did really well. I thought Sonny Kiss did very well in this match. I mean, we've seen other performers that have, you know, got, gotten this, these big showcase matches with, with a star and to me, not looked as poised as Sunny Kiss. I, I thought really like good performance here. 
clearly um, the, the standout performance that Sonny Kiss has had on on Dynamite. Um, and then afterwards, Cody Cody like endorsed Sonny and gave him a hug, and you know they really tried to put a spotlight on Sonny Kiss coming out of this. I I, I like the opener. I don't I don't think this was like your, your top level of a of a Cody match, but I thought that. Um, uh, I I thought a better match than I anticipated. I think I think a a good like g- good match for the opening spot, and ultimately you come out of this with a net positive as now more people know about Sunny Kiss. Just seeing Sunny Kiss's name attached to Cody's online and those graphics in the week leading up to this, I think did a lot for Sunny Kiss. And you know he'll go on to reap those rewards as he continues to team with Joey Janela. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought this was a, a a really strong open to the show. They followed with Phoenix and Pentagon arriving in Butcher and Blade's stolen truck. Jim Ross is very concerned about this truck that has not been repossessed yet and returned to FTR. And that was the opponents of the Lucha Brothers. Jim Ross at the beginning said that Nick Jackson and Phoenix, unless I heard this wrong, I believe he said was the best match he's called. Um. Wow. I, I, I didn't really notice it myself. He I bet. don't know if he qualified it as AEW match or just said best match, but um, hmm. that appeared to be what was uh, uttered here. They double teamed Dax Harwood at the beginning. Um, there was one like mess up on this wheelbarrow where it seemed that like Pentagon and Phoenix just kind of had their rhythm off. And uh, the one that came down on Harwood just seemed to like just land all their weight on Harwood. But that was really the only hiccup here. They cut off the ring with Phoenix. Um, Lots of comparisons here to the Midnight Express by the announcers. And then they, again, focus on Tully Blanchard, and they note how uh, he's he's scouting. I was like, he's just in the crowd like everybody else watching. Like, he's not taking notes. It's didn't just he have like, a notepad? I didn't think he had a notepad. In but, prior weeks, I feel like he, he's had a notepad. Well, it was... You sure uh, he didn't have a stopwatch? I, I don't know if he needs a stopwatch to necessarily... Unless he's assessing their cardio of how long they could go. Um, but yes... Um, so we had Tully Maybe he's taking notes for a podcast. He could be. He he is welcome. Uh, oh, should yeah. he ever want to join us? There was a super kick combo on Wheeler, and then Phoenix hit this missile drop kick off the apron that set up the picture in picture, which was back in Canada this week. We got numerous picture in pictures. Some point throughout all this, Cash Harwood had his chest cut up, and he was like bleeding. Dax Harwood. Dax Harwood. I'm sorry. Cash Wheeler, Dax Cash, Harwood. Oh, goodness. It'll take some time. Yeah. Yeah. He, his uh, chest got all cut up from chops. They were uh, um, explaining that's what it came from. That sucked. Oh, yeah. Not, not fun to get your your chest all chopped up. Uh, next Tuesday, rewind away, Kenta Kobashi versus Kensuke Sasaki. <laughs> that would suck, yes. If. If you're not a fa- if you're a fan of I guess chops getting cut up, that is the match to watch. Oof. Phoenix then leaps off the top into this beautiful uppercut from Wheeler, and then we get snap suplexes around by Harwood, including Pentagon on top of Phoenix. Uh, FTR hit the Steinerizer with the Bulldog off the top on off the shoulders, and then the Lucha Brothers do their hand gestures. The FTR come back and they just give the middle fingers in response. Then it was Wheeler with a tope to the floor into a spinning DDT. Phoenix followed with a high cross onto Wheeler on the floor. And our finishing sequence sees Phoenix do like his uh, like the setup for like the tiger faint kick where he spins around the rope into a into a hook kick. Then he tries it a second time. 
And I loved that on the second time, Harwood was ready for this and wasn't going to fall for it twice because on the second try, he rips off the mask of Phoenix. He's all shocked and loses with an inside cradle. FTR remains undefeated, 13 minutes, 29 seconds. And I thought a, a really creative finish. And I, I would say like this was a really strong match, not in the league of last week's uh, eight-man tag, but uh, a, a tag match I would love to see a rematch of as well. Yeah, I would say the same. You know, I I think expectations going into this one were really high given the stature of both teams. And like this really was dream match status, I think, for a lot of people. Really, FTR against like a number of these teams in AEW would be dream match status. But this would definitely be among the top. And I think a lot of people were perhaps expecting something maybe closer to the quality of what we saw last week between the in that eight man. Um, it was Still very good. I thought they really more so hit their stride after the commercial break. Before it, things seemed a little bit off. Um, mm-hmm. But but by the end of it, like you know, it, I, I definitely felt like it was strong. But you definitely get the sense that these two are capable of a far better match the next time that they they might be put together. So Butcher and Blade had been watching by the entrance area by the truck during the whole match. So after the match, the Young Bucks come up from behind and super kick both of them, and they take the keys and bring them to the ring to give the keys back to FTR to get back their truck. At the same time, Kenny Omega's coming out with a cooler full of beers as a peace offering after last week, and they present the keys and beer to FTR. And to put the water under the bridge, Kenny Omega is going to have a beer with them, and they all cheers but then FTR dumped the beer over top Kenny Omega. And the Bucks have to hold back Omega and FTR, then go to the truck, and the key doesn't work. Um, I don't know if the key not working was intentional or not. Did you? I thought it was supposed to be a, a ploy by the Bucks. But again, I feel like that's how they, they could they took it. They took these keys from Butcher and Blade, so... I feel like, like they were supposed to drive off. Um, otherwise, the, announce- the announcers might have called more attention to, like, the bus. Like, they did not bring this up after the break. Like, it was never mentioned, like, yeah. to to, re- to re- hit this over your head. See, I, I definitely felt like it was more of a botch <laughs> and a screw-up of this truck not working. It was rather funny to watch. But, like, you know, they could easily explain that it was the Bucks that were responsible yeah, because the whole thing in the ring is like the Bucks are not trying to uh, fuck with FTR. They're trying to be the peacemakers with FTR. It's Omega it's that gets up. Yeah. So yeah. like it does not necessarily make sense. You very well could be right. And there was no attention placed on this. It's like as we're fading to the commercial, like you're just watching Cash try the key and it just seems uh, e- either way. Um, I'm surprised they, they, like this doesn't happen more often with all the vehicles that we have. Uh, in AEW, really elsewhere. They need a Trent's mom, really. Trent's mom, I mean, she had the she she had the minivan and drive the whole time. I mean, you, you take a risk when you uh, shut off the car. It's like, who knows, in this heat, mm-hmm. getting that engine to go could be tricky. So I know it's still really early, and I know they're definitely doing, a, you know, a bit more of an ambiguous, like, our FTR heels or baby faces sort of thing. But, like do you have a clear picture of where they stand, especially in relationship to Kenny Omega, who uh, seems to be going on his own arc, you know, throughout this episode? Yeah, I I still feel you get to FTR and the Bucks at All Out. That would be my my guess. As heels. Or, or do you do... Oh, the Bucks. Ba- 
Well, like who who are the heels? It's FTR. It's gotta I be. I think right? FTR should be. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say like you know the fact that they cheated to win here, um, even though it was on a heel team, they didn't cheat, but they did something very low in pulling you know Phoenix's mask off. Um, it would still suggest that they are heels. I think the Tully stuff. You know, uh, leading everybody to think that there's going to be some sort of four horsemen thing. I mean, I, you know, I'm confused and I don't even really know if we're supposed to know yet right now. And and maybe it's more of a shades of shades of gray that they're they're going with. Well, maybe the Bucks are going to get abandoned by the elite members. They're going to be the lone baby faces. Yeah, could be. Could be. Or Hangman's caught in the middle. Hangman, the guy who we thought was deserting them. Maybe he's their their the one guy who's going to stay loyal. Hmm. Well, Cody and Omega screw off. Hmm. Taz has left commentary at this point, and I, I like hearing Taz again on commentary. Like I've I've always been a fan of, of of his style, particularly like anytime he's picked up the the microphone in AEW, and you know now this was I, I think among the first times that unless he does dark, I don't even know anymore. He but, does. Um, he does. Okay, so he's still got that very technical analytical style, but. Um, is still able to feed in, you know, things about Brian Cage in there. Um, yeah, I really like the fact that he separates like the the promo style as the heel manager from the analyst because that that can be a very tough line to to balance, and I think he does it uh, very very well and and to the betterment of the commentary by not forcing himself to be like his like how he is during a promo. Mm-hmm. So Chris Jericho comes out with. Uh, Santana, Ortiz, and the returning Jake Hager, um, who I guess was the other inner circle member who had a suspension after taking out the referee. And they're coming out. They've got orange juice. And he calls the match with Orange Cassidy one of the best in AEW history. I also won the ratings war. And he explains how ratings work. The most important thing is the 18 to 49 demographic. And I have never been beaten in the demographic. I am the demo god. And I know the concept of drawing money. And Orange Cassidy wants a rematch. The networks want a rematch. And the advertisers want a rematch. Well, none of you are getting it. So the crowd, the quotations crowd, starts chanting, you scared. And he raises his orange juice and says, here's one for you, Orange. And one for your dead career. And out comes Orange Cassidy, and he's just standing out in the bleachers, and Jericho calls him lazy. He's a sloth who's entitled, and there will never be a rematch. Now get out of my arena, you piece of shit. And Cassidy puts his thumb up and then gives the thumbs down. And coming down from above the ring is an ocean of orange juice. The bloodbath, the blood orange bath mm-hmm. that lands on top of Jericho. The uh, you can't say this on you can't say that on television moment uh, for the most dated reference that anyone's going to come to compare this to. And Jericho freaks out. He yells that his jacket cost him seven thousand dollars. Ortiz was doing the Vince McMahon trying to swim in it, and then they pass him a towel, and it's an Orange Cassidy towel to wipe the orange juice off of Jericho. You know, pretty big stunt, I would say, you know, by AEW standards, like doing, doing all this. And I thought it, it, it was a great follow-up to 
you know, Orange Cassidy taking a loss last week. And, you know, if you want to get the guy's heat back, I thought this did it. You know, it, it embarrassed them. And you did it all without having Orange Cassidy say a word, which I think continues to be, like, really, like, the fun of, like, trying to see Orange Cassidy in a main event angle. How can you tell these stories and build to all these matches without the guy being able to say a single word? You're booking a storyline with a mute. And they were very successful uh, with uh, with a segment like this. And really, like, updated the trope. I mean, we have seen in wrestling, blood, feces, um, and now orange juice. Yeah, when was the... Yeah, we have seen feces. Yeah, way back. That was with um, the Spirit mm-hmm. Squad. Right. With okay. the McMahons. Oh, God. And DX. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't great. Uh, so what does that say about us as a society? We're becoming they, classier or just more ridiculous? Hey, they, they get top marks because they also didn't miss the target like WCW did where the blood came down and like completely missed. I think it was, mm. uh, I'm thinking Nash maybe who like avoided it. It was like, it, it hit a whole, I think it it landed a, in the crowd. I think it was the fans that got hit. It was something ridiculous. It well, was actually a wonderful, it was a wonderful metaphor for 2000 WCW. Maybe, maybe there's something about the density of orange juice that lets it drop straight down. Uh, th- this, this hit Jericho like straight on. I don't know if he had a mark in the ring, but man, he was, he was dead on. He took this and, you know, this this was the most I think Chris Jericho morphed into Bobby Heenan on this show. Like, <laughs> not just being on commentary, but just his style and just he used this orange juice and pardon the the pun. I no, I'm not pardoning the pun. He squeezed everything out of this orange juice angle for all it was worth for this next hour. Like, he never let the viewer at home forget that I am standing. I'm sitting here on commentary. Covered in orange juice. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, It's sticky. He's got sticky fingers. Yeah. I mean, the stickiness alone um, would drive. Oh, I thought it was just uncomfortable to hear him describe it. Like, that's just an awful, awful feeling. If you've ever spilt uh, any kind of substance on your hands that in your car, you know, like you ever spilled a drink, like a sugary drink in your car. It's the worst. All those crevices. Oh, terrible. You want to know the most, the second most annoying thing? What's that? Today at around 1 o'clock p.m., this fly started buzzing around my office. And Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to ignore it at first. And then I just couldn't. Like, this thing took over my entire focus. I was 100% on this fly. I was like, (laughs) that's it. So I got up. Chased this thing into the windowsill, and then it went into this crack where the window is. Okay, and this is the same window where all my Dallas stuff used to be, and I had to remove it because of a potential water leakage. So this this, this buzzing fly is in this little like edge part. So I took I took this uh this Kleenex, and I'm just like trying to like kill it somewhere inside, and I hear the buzzing has stopped. And I was like, okay. I don't see it here on the Kleenex, but the buzzing has stopped. So I come back, I sit down, start typing again. Dude, 10 minutes go by. This thing's moved on. I've moved on. I have mourned its loss. It's gone. It came back from the dead. This thing's just buzzing, okay? It's like Tinkerbell, and the neighbors had been applauding to give it life. 
and it comes out of the edge of my windowsill and it's buzzing and it's flying all over this place again. I said, God damn it. This thing is driving. This is just, I can't do anything. I could not do anything else than I have to end this fly. I have to destroy this thing. And it flies onto the window. And I swear, I wound up and was this close to just like overhand chopping this glass window before I caught myself and said, this fly is trying to shatter my hand. Wait, it took me 30 minutes until this fly was done. Oh, you did get it. I finally got this thing. Oh, wow. But my God, was it a task. These things are so fast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're... And there's a part of it. You know, you know the old saying, like, oh, this person wouldn't, wouldn't harm a fly. I, I do have, like, a, a slight bit of remorse that I've got to kill this thing. But what are the options? Uh, no, at some point, it almost becomes a challenge. It's like, you know, can I do this? Am I? I was doubting. I, I was doubting species? it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I'm sorry you went through that. At the same time, it's not uh, as worse, not as bad as orange juice, but the fly okay. is close. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um. Or you know, some satisfaction at the end. It was like you were a worthy challenger. Mm. That's how I felt. You you ate up quite a bit of my time. You you fly. Well, um, hey, rest in peace. So, fly swatter might be in my future purchases. Oh, you got to get one of those electric ones. An electric one? Oh, electric fly swatter. Yeah. I do not, I, I was not aware of one of these. They're like almost like tennis rackets. You put a battery in and it's like a whole net that like, it's basically a, an electric fence. And you smother like a fly with that thing or just whack it. And it makes like a beautiful spark. And uh, they're... They're fried. The flies are. The fly gets fried. You know what I purchased yesterday? I found. Uh, I was on Amazon, and there was a cable that will hook up my near thirty-year-old Sega Genesis to my TV. Oh, I, I didn't know this you. Cable. Had, I didn't know you had your Sega Genesis around. I, I still have it. I still have it. Oh, it's uh, here in my room. I bought this cable. I might be going down a, a, a dark path once this once I can hook up the Sega Genesis. I'm going to play some Tony La Russa baseball. Oh, God damn. Is there a Twitch channel in your future, John? No, 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 no. My Twitch channel would be uh, recording this on my phone, and, and I'll, I'll send you the games. Oh, I would tune into that occasionally. I would really just tune in to see you face off against the fly. <laughs> it, it would have been pretty riveting. Oh I think God, uh, 30 minutes of that. Next time it, this happens, you got to film yourself. Very yeah. evasive. This fly was like um, Alexander Volkanovsky. Okay. And I was just, I was just throwing bombs at this thing. I was going to, I was going to tire by the end of it. This thing was giving me a workout. So Jurassic Express is backstage. Marco stunt is laughing, laughing at the inner circle, getting doused with the orange juice. Luchasaurus says that he has waited 65,000 years for this. I presume the match is what he was referring to. That's a hell of a wait for this six man. I mean, you know, they've been around a long time. Jericho joins commentary. He is just selling this orange juice for all it's worth. I will say that I, I, I think that Jim Ross and Jericho always have great chemistry. They were terrific tonight. 
like Jim Ross knew exactly what Jericho was playing and he was going to set him up for the next hour with just, like just great, great stuff to just lob to Jericho to just hit out of the park. Like mm-hmm. they worked very, very well together tonight. I thought Excalibur fit in really well too. He played he played his role great because <laughs> at the end of it, Jericho is annoyed with Jim Ross, but he respects Jim Ross. He can't stand Excalibur. And mm. I, I, w- I would agree with you that of the uh, the times that they have all been together, I think everyone had a, a strong role here, mainly with, with Jericho just being pissed and these two guys having to put up with Chris Jericho for an hour. Uh, and Jericho says that there will be a rematch with Orange Cassidy, to which Jim Ross said, you smell very tropical. Oh, okay. They also replayed the hell out of this thing from every conceivable angle. Like, they, they got all their worth out of this this angle. You know, like, Cassidy and Jericho came across so well. Um, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, are very interested in seeing that rematch. Um, and you needed a big hot angle to try to set that up. And I don't know if something like this is going to be everybody's, you know, I was going to say cup of tea, but a cup of something, I guess. Um, But I think it's perfect for this type of character. I think so. I think that tonight, like you, you could certainly get another TV match uh, out of these two for sure. Jurassic express against Kenny Omega and the young bucks. They plug being the elite to which Jim Ross just casually says, it's a fun show. And Jericho says, <laughs> "I've turned them down every single time they've asked me to be on." <laughs> Man, I, like I, I don't really keep up with being the elite that much anymore because these the shows are just so long now. They're like thirty minutes each, and in fact, this week's episode is called "This is a thirty minute episode." Yeah, but I do make an effort to watch all the Dark Order segments with John Silver, Alex Reynolds, and Brody. Uh, man, what's his Brody name? Brody Lee. Brody Lee, yeah, uh, Mr. Brody, who really have like found themselves as like this comedic version of the Dark Order. Um, Brody Lee is just great. Like he's allowed to swear on BTE, so he's just like every week the frustrated boss at his minions who are just so completely incompetent. Um, it's 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 fantastic, and it's it's an act. I wish they could you know, allow themselves to translate to TV. I mean, I get the sense they're still wanting to keep the comedy on BTE and not so much on, on the TV side of things, but it's way more interesting, way more entertaining than how they're presented on, on the actual TV. At the beginning of this, uh, one of the first uh, combinations was Kenny Omega and Marco Stunt. And Jericho points out that when Omega doesn't take his shirt off, it means he's underestimating his opponent. So Stunt gets the best of Omega, and it prompts Omega to finally take off the shirt. <laughs> See, I don't know if that's something they worked out beforehand. Hey, like, Jericho, I'm going to put my shirt on. You can tell, tell the audience I'm underestimating this opponent, but it, it worked out really well. It was, it was a very funny uh, spot. Um, so, yeah, we saw uh, Kenny Omega hit the, uh, the Terminator dive. Um, I would say, like, the first half of this match, I, I didn't really think it was just, like, it wasn't bad. It definitely wasn't bad. It was just, to me, um, maybe it was just coming off the fumes of last week that I was expecting this match to kind of be not quite at that level, but not far off either. And it just seemed like it was it was going along fine, but I would say it was below expectations. They go through a break, um, and throughout the match, they had shown Hangman Page drinking at a bar, and then later FTR show up at the bar, and they start having Jack with Hangman Page. 
So Omega is delivering all these Snapdragons to everybody. And they tr- the Bucks and Omega triple team and hit a Tiger Driver 98, to which the announcers bring up why why does Excalibur call it the Tiger Driver 98? And he mentions because it was invented in 98. That's the version that was from 98. Which is the same convention behind COVID-19. So I, th- I think we can allow for the year to be specified in the descriptor. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If it's, it, it works for me. Jericho compared Marco's stunt to a piece of Kleenex hitting you. And then stunt comes. This was like the attempt to top the Canadian destroyer from last week. We're on the stage and Marco stunt comes off the shoulders of Luchasaurus Matt Jackson is standing on the top rope and is hit with a Canadian destroyer from stunt into the ring. And the save gets made. It was crazy. Like they made last week's insane spot, almost like a regular thing. Um, and it was just as insane as last week. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it was. It's amazing. It's. I don't know if I want to see it every single week. I mean, I don't want this Canadian destroyer to just turn into like any other can- Canadian destroyer. Um, I think but, it kind of lessened last week's move, but like doing it so quickly this week and trying to like top it by this time he's standing on the top rope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, they they can do a hell of a lot of stuff with Marco Stunt. Like this guy, it just like can fly all over the place. Like it's it's insane. And I think he immediately, like, anytime he's in the ring with anybody, it's it's immediately interesting, like, because he is so unique and he is so small compared to everybody else. He's the type of guy I think your casual viewers flipping through the channels will either completely disregard and flip the channel from because wrestling is so silly, like, look at this kid wrestle, or somebody will stick around and see a Kenny Omega fight a different little kid. Uh, which, you know, this match definitely reminded me of, you know, Kenny's last um, match with a child. Um, He, to me, to me at least, immediately, like, brings interest into a match. I don't know how Marco Stunt walked away from this Snapdragon that he took from Kenny Omega. It just looked like he killed this man. Luchasaurus then holds Stunt, and it's Luchasaurus that takes the V-trigger from Omega, then it's uh, another V-trigger is hit the stunt. He goes for the one-winged angel, but stunt is able to counter for this big roll-up for a two-count. Kenny ca- uh, cuts him off with the, another V-trigger and hits the one-winged angel. 15 minutes and four seconds. Uh, so while I thought that this match took longer to really get going, when it did, like this, especially like the after the commercial break onwards, this it turned into just like a pretty unbelievable showcase. I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I thought Jurassic Express were awesome. Um, the it, it was like I think the type of you know crazy spot fest that you would expect from a combination of all these teams. And it, for me, it was really nice to see like the Bucks and Kenny team together again. So um, Jericho I, loved this match. It was very clear. So he was like really pro Kenny in this match. Yes, and yes. you know maybe that's setting up what we ended up seeing here after the match, Kenny continues to attack Marco stunt and the young bucks pull Kenny off. He said the match is over and Kenny's saying he, he tried to kill you guys. And Luchasaurus is pissed off saying the match was over and 
they're really trying to keep Kenny away. But this was certainly um, a, a strong indication of uh, a change in Kenny Omega. Oh, yeah. It was like the the most... I mean, this was... It, I don't even know how he could really turn back from this point on. Like, he didn't seem remorseful. It wasn't the type of thing where he'd, like, hit the guy and then was like, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. He, like, still had a big kind of that evil, maniacal smile on his face. Uh, almost as if he, like, you know, was kind of doing like a bit of a slapstick like hey, hey i'm i'm evil now um like he really enjoyed it and so i you know kenny has a lot going on right now he's still tag team champions with page he's got whatever that they're setting up with the ftr and him and then he's got this heel turn potentially so uh it's a lot of directions and i'm i'm hoping by the end it all kind of works itself out as you know one solid picture alex marvez interviewed hikaru shida and mentioned that four of the five top contenders are unable to compete right now for various reasons. Uh, they didn't go over the specifics of that line, but she is willing to give Nyla Rose a rematch, and anyone can step up. Show me. I'm waiting. You know, I, I think Sheeta's English has either gotten really improved or she's been really holding back in all of her prior appearances because... I thought she sounded great here. She was able to emote with confidence. The line sounded good. And yeah, I think she's, you know, she's she's been a really good champion thus far. It um, you know, she just needs like these contenders. It it certainly does make you wonder why like these members can't compete four of the five. So I mean, obviously Britt Baker is out. I don't even know if she's ranked. Statlander's uh, out with the knee injury. Statlander, yeah. But uh, she even top 5 at this point. Let me just. I mean, who's like like Rio is unavailable. Uh, Yuka Sakazaki is unavailable. Like those are four right there. Um, the ones that are available, you've got Penelope Ford, Nyla Rose. I mean, did we? Did we? We never saw Penelope so, Ford tonight. So, so I'm looking right now. Um, so Sheeta is number one. Oh, sorry. Number one is Nyla Rose. Number two is Big Swole. Number three is Penelope Ford, and then as you mentioned, Chris Statlander and Britt Baker are four and five. So. I mean, Swole, it, Swole has the storyline suspension from last week. That's right. That's right. Statlander can't, Baker can't, and Ford, we, do we know a reason? Unless there's something that we're not aware, because we, I never saw her tonight in the crowd or anything. So right. unless, unless she is not uh, available for some reason, in theory, it would be Rose and Penelope Ford that are pretty much your women's division right now, which makes a lot of sense why they're bringing in, well, we'll get to it in the lineup for next week, why they're uh, bringing in some more women. Because th this is a division that it is very thin. Very thin, yeah. I didn't even realize until looking at some of these rankings, but yeah. They are a tape promo from John Moxley. He was wearing a Danny Havoc t-shirt and said the last few weeks have not been the best. He's been pissed off about many things, but can purge all his frustrations tonight. And his game plan is to rip Brian Cage's previously torn bicep off the bone. I like the promo here from Moxley, you know, um, subtle nods to what's been going on in his life. I mean, um, obviously the stuff with, with COVID as well as what's going on with Danny Havoc. He just really had to say, like, he's been having some really bad last few weeks and uh, went on to basically, you know, talk about technique by Taz and how, yeah, um, Cage's biceps are so big, I might not be able to get my hands around him, but I'm just going to rip his biceps off. Mentioning, you know, Cage's uh, prior existing injury to his biceps. So adding a bit of like game plan in there, which I, I, I think is always like great to have 
when you're talking about a match that's coming up. Excalibur told Jericho that all the kids in the 18 to 49 demographic, they love instant replays. So they replay the orange juice angle again from multiple angles. Brandy Rhodes and Allie defeated Kenzie Page and MJ Jenkins, who was a part of the NXT cuts uh, back in April, uh, appearing here on TV. Um, this was certainly the weakest match on the show. It didn't go very long. It was only two minutes. Allie was in with Jenkins, and it ended with her blowing a kiss to the camera, presumably to QT Marshall, who we can discuss, and then just uh, hitting like a final cut and winning uh, Dustin afterwards was reluctant to raise Allie's arm, and it's kind of like the two teammates that are on different pages, but they're winning. They're 4-0, they mentioned, with their dark record and now debuting on Dynamite as a team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, cons- considering the lack of depth in that women's division as well as, you know, having to put the QT uh, Dustin Rhodes tag team on hold right now, you can understand why they would put these two together and... uh Certainly on the weaker side in terms of in-ring quality amongst this division. But I think these two also have more personality than most. Certainly we know how capable Brandy is of cutting, you know, very good Mm -hmm. promos. And I think Ali has done great character work in the past as well. So I think there's definitely enough to make storylines work. And, um, you know, they just have to still, I think, you know, prove themselves amongst sort of like the higher caliber of, of the women's division in ring. Uh, you watched the the video DDP did. What what exactly did he say about uh, QT Marshall? Yeah, DDP released like an entire like 13-minute um, video talking about his, um, you know, his experience with COVID-19 basically. And I think, um, you know, we should note that from all accounts, it seemed like DDP was somebody who was incredibly careful about this thing from the beginning. Mm. However, um, he also talked about how, you know, where he's from, People were just starting to get more relaxed about it all, thinking that, hey, maybe this thing isn't so bad. So at some point, uh, I believe his significant other went to a bridal shower with something like 16 other people. And um, several of the people ended up getting sick, and among them his significant other. And then he got sick. And so, you know, it it came down to a point where... um, they were both pretty certain that they had COVID. Their doctors were both pretty certain that they all, they had COVID, but they weren't able to get testing and they weren't able to get the results for several days. When they finally got the results, he was, um, so basically, um, his significant other tested positive, but he did not, even though the, both of them suffered from, um, uh, uh, you know, symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also in in this whole thing mentions how he was speaking to QT Marshall, AEW wrestler, and how QT Marshall uh, talked about his experience. Um, in that QT experienced COVID symptoms for a few days, and he tested positive. Meanwhile, his wife had experienced them for far longer, and and like a you know a, a number of different like uh, symptoms of COVID. And she tested negative. And so um, he also said like QT tested again and was again tested positive. So, I mean, I guess that was, you know, as far as like AEW is concerned, some some news that came out, you know, regarding an active member of the roster that that test po- tested positive. But I think his point more so was to show how um, 
careful you have to be even with test results because of you know either false positives or i mean in this case false negatives i would say because they clearly like suffered from symptoms all of them um so how careful you have to be even getting your negative test result because um they could testing could be wrong and so to you know he just wants to remind everybody to just you know stay safe but uh, and and a baby shower like you're not talking about a gigantic group of people either I think bridal shower. I mean, yeah, I'm hoping. Oh, bridal shower. I think okay. bridal well, shower. I could could have been baby or bridal, but like I think they mentioned like a group of sixteen, and like he said, oh, that's like that's a that's not a crazy number. Uh, I mean, these days it does feel feel like it's quite a bit. I don't know if I've been in a room with like that many people in quite some time, but certainly if you are going to like distance and and you know protect yourselves and yeah, just a reminder that. We, this thing is far from over. Dasha was in the ring and brought out Nyla Rose. Uh, they showed Britt Baker with Rebel, uh, with Britt Baker uh, and her broken nose. And Rose is not going to say who her manager is. They can speak for themselves. And she introduces Vicky Guerrero, who comes out to a new theme. And she's Vicky, to, she says, excuse me now. Yeah, she um, was screaming, excuse me. me. Yeah. Before it was like, are you are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Now she's actually saying, excuse me. But how about this song? I got to download this like, excuse me, dubstep. I was going to say it was, um man, maybe there can get some, uh, yeah, this could be a big release. And then like works up to a drop. I mean, if there's anything that's going to conjure a heel reaction in 2020, it is dubstep. I think it works perfectly for her. So she's not going to share the strategy with Dasha. It will be the perfect time when Nyla goes for the women's title and the other women will be, will never be smart enough to cheat, to win. And they're going to take, they're going to take out all of their, or take advantage of all their opportunities. And then she does her, her maniacal cackle to end this promo. So it is the latest manager in AEW, uh, but our first female manager that we have. Outside of Brandy. Oh, that's true. We have Brandy. Yeah. Um, I love the nod to Eddie here saying uh, nobody, you guys aren't smart enough to cheat to win. Um, I actually never realized how much I miss Vicky as a heel in pro wrestling TV. Um, I I find her tremendously entertaining. I, you know, Nyla isn't necessarily a a wrestler who needs a mouthpiece because she is so good on the microphone herself. But I do think having somebody like, you know, Vicky Guerrero next to her boost her stock just a little bit. I hope it doesn't mean that she will do all the talking for her because I've really enjoyed Nyla's promos thus far, but it could be very much like, I suppose, I don't know, having Arn with Cody and, and just having that little extra voice attached to promoting this person. They teed up uh, next week's lineup. We've got Cody defending the TNT championship. No opponent listed. Hangman page versus five. And then, they are bringing in Ivelisse, uh, formerly of Lucha Underground. She was on. Uh, she was in NXT for uh, for a period of time as well. Tough enough. Uh, and tough enough, and doing and uh, taking on Diamante, formerly of mm-hmm. Impact Wrestling, who we had seen in the crowd previously as well. I believe both of these two were in the crowd, and in fact, um, they might have been like hanging out together. Like, they both got the bandana thing going on, so they already look like they are more so a tag team than opponents. 
Mm. But um, who knows, like, how they'll really treat it. I mean, I could just see next week sort of being like, winner gets a contract sort of thing. Um, but uh, I, I'm really happy to see both of these names attached to to AEW because they certainly need more. And I think both of these two would potentially be great additions. MJF is going to be in action. Then we've got a Falls Count Anywhere match. The Young Bucks against the Butcher and the Blade. Now, that's a really big match for Butcher and the Blade. And... Jericho and Jake Hager versus Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. So I would say like a, a decent lineup. I would say, you know, yeah. the, the fact that you've got the Bucks, Jericho and Cody, that's all. Th- th- that's pretty significant. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, it is a step down. It feels because like the past three weeks have been, you know, the, the, they've been trying to promote these as like pay-per-views on television. So it is a small step down, but like. I, I, you know, seeing the full card right now, you still have a number of stars appearing and you have a Cody Tuttle defense. We don't know against who yet. That falls um, count anywhere match will be insane. Oh, yeah. Sure. But the Bucks, mm-hmm. like, that'll probably get your 15, 20 minutes. I could see that. And it's it's a really big match for the Butcher and the Blade. Their mm-hmm. biggest match, I would say, to this point. Yes, absolutely. And potentially, I mean, they, you know, the, the, the eight man that they had was such a good match. Um, that one might be hard to, to top, but this will really show us how much Butcher and the Blade were responsible for that one. And then the main event, John Moxley, Brian Cage for the AEW title. Cage comes out with the FTW title, which they specifically note is not officially recognized. Although Brian Cage makes Justin Roberts introduce him as the FTW champion. Taz cuts a promo saying that while John Moxley was home quarantining with his wifey, Cage was here killing dudes and tells him to come out and bring your title. Moxley makes his uh, his grand entrance from from the back and he walks up to the camera, uh, kisses the camera and is dedicating this to Danny Havoc wearing the shirt. And Excalibur explained who Danny Havoc was and his passing back in May. So I, I thought that was nice that they called attention to it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Jericho had quite the line here saying that no one is going to be able to take this title out of Moxley's cold, dead, living hands. Cold, dead, living, dead, living hands. Dead and living hands. So it's like his hands are like somewhere in purgatory. Hmm. Okay. Very dangerous. Moxley hits a drop kick that Jericho compares to Johnny Smith as uh, Cage is knocked off his feet that they uh, put over as significant. And then he goes and attacks the left arm. And this became uh, Moxley's focus of the whole match was injuring the left arm. And way it's a big deal because you know what happens in this big title match and you've got Rick Knox there. It's time for playoff rules. Playoff rules, yeah. Yeah. I mean, playoff rules are something that they've kind of like, you know, pretty much like accepted as part of their rule set now. And I'm totally cool with it. Like, you just have to give me an explanation that is somewhat consistent every time you have one of these big matches, and I'm good. If you just basically kind of ignore it and, like, you know, it comes and goes, uh, like, based on, I don't know, randomness, that's... I have an issue with that. But if you tell me that an established part of the rules is referee's discretion and, you know, quote-unquote playoff rules, then I can can buy it. I do feel that the announcers and... The performers, and that includes like the referee and like all of this, I do feel they need to be more on the same page because I don't think it does any good if Jim Ross is going to call this and 
point out what are the established rules that the viewer at home is supposed to be uh, also following as well. So if if you're going to be pointing out things like the 10 count is not being adhered to and they're just brawling all over the all over Daly's place and there's no count out in effect, like that's something that Jim Ross is going to call this within the within the body of like the rule set. So to me, if like if all that stuff is going to be ignored, then it's almost like the announcer. It hurts his credibility then if he's calling out all of this and then the viewer at home is thinking, yeah, why? Why isn't there a count? And I think it just it does harm to the match. So I think that still needs to be. Isn't you know, that what better. they did here? By explaining that it's referee's discretion. I mean, we got other we get other examples all the time of like the ten count when there's a double team with with, with the tag teams that are in there. Um, I mean, referee's discretion is is, is fine, um, but that's. I'm not even looking so much at, at this match, but to me, it's an overall thing that we get yeah. where the rules are brought out and like, it just seems like the performers are not structuring their match around, you know, what the announcers are calling. And that's kind of the understanding of how the match is going to be called. Like that is what Jim Ross is going to point out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in our playoff rules, we, uh, we went through a commercial break, uh, cage is in control here as he applies a torture rack, but then Moxley, takes a snap suplex onto a chair on the floor. Cage then misses a moonsault from the top. Uh, There was also a spot where they had brought a guardrail out and placed it against the ring, and Moxley took a German onto this guardrail uh, before he was suplexed onto the chair. It's like this guy's been sitting at home for three weeks, and he's like, God. I'm all pain-free. My back's (laughs) fine. Yeah. I need to be suplexed into a guardrail. I need to be thrown onto a unfolded steel chair. Then, uh, back in the ring, out of nowhere, Moxley hits the paradigm shift, but Cage kicks out, and they bring up technique by Taz. And the fact that Taz explained Cage will not be susceptible to the full impact of the paradigm shift because of the build of his upper body. And I thought that that was... I, I really liked that they went to this length of doing this this technique by Taz and it totally made sense why he was able to kick out of this move that we don't often see people kick out from and they put a lot of thought into this I did think it was one of the better techniques by Taz like sometimes it's like like the Kenny Omega one was like he's going to wind up and extend his leg for the full power like it hadn't really I mean I guess again it's really difficult to like come up with like I don't know, sports-like analysis for worked moves. But in this case, given the st- the size of the opponents in the matchup I, and the finishing move that Moxley had, I thought they found somebody something that worked really well and played into the match. Man, given all of the Bellator involvement when we had the Jake Hager buildup for John Moxley and the different like experts weighing in, <laughs> I, I think we could literally in the next year see a Robin Black cameo on AEW Dynamite. Um given his Bellator affiliation. I mean, like one of these things in Robin's style is exactly the way I I would love to see, you know, uh, one of these technique things be presented like, like a breakdown, like the, a sports Moxley Moxley brings in Robin for a future rematch to break down cage. Sure. Yeah. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, Robin was great at it. 
Robin actually interviewed Moxley recently. I remember him oh. telling me about the fact that he uh, he did an interview with him. If 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 you hit Robin Black up and, and like he's a guy who understands professional wrestling and knows exactly what you would need, you know, to to do some sort of like kayfabe. Um, but realistic, I, I think analysis. he'd be great at it. To be honest, yeah. like in that kind of a segment, that is uh, like his strength of like using a, a wrestling match but breaking it down in you know in his way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Moxley goes for a Kimura, but then Cage is able to get out of that. The drill claw gets blocked. He goes back to the arm. Cage is clasping the hands, and then P- Moxley pulls back on the fingers, turns into a Fujiwara armbar, and it, as he has the arm, uh, uh, as he's pulling back on the arm, he gives the finger to Taz, and Taz is watching Cage coming dangerously close to another torn biceps and the announcers are explaining this is Taz's meal ticket and he's looking at the prospect of Cage being out another five months and reluctantly Taz throws in the towel at 15 minutes and nine seconds. I love this finish. Okay, let's let's just back up and talk about how nice Moxley's jujitsu looked here. Like I've heard him talk about in some interviews, he's like, you know, obviously he's been training in Extreme Couture and like He's competed in like Naga, I believe, like even before, um, like entering AEW and, and maybe even like before WWE or something. So like the guy's got a background and you could tell like he he really knows his shit and was able to integrate it really well into this story of him trying to break down Brian Cage's bicep. Um, I thought he transitioned really nice from move to move to move. It's 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 it's, you know, it just reminds me how sad I might be that we might never see him do another like do a blood sport match. I don't even know if we'll ever see a blood sport again at this point, man, but shit. Um yeah, he he looked great and I loved the 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 play, the interplay between him and Taz as Mox has him in that belly down armbar as he's making an eye contact with Taz as Taz is saying screw you and then Mox gives him the finger a la like a Nick Diaz. Um ending with It, the- it was a lot like the um Amanda Hebos defeating Paige Van Zant on the weekend, like it's very similar to the the submission, minus a, a towel being thrown in. Did she give the finger to whoever was in the corner? <laughs> she didn't give the middle finger to uh, Austin Vanderford, but she was going like belly down with, with the arm. Oh yeah, I, I loved it. And then the throwing in the towel, I mean, it's not something you, it's something we rarely, rarely see in pro wrestling, and it's usually a really big deal. But in this case. I thought it was done, number one, to protect Cage, while still giving you a really conclusive ending to this main event. And keeping Taz, like, it could have, it with the wrong announcers, this could have come across as a sympathetic gesture by Taz saving his guy in trouble. But they did such a great job of explaining, it's not this guy's health, it's like, this is his meal ticket. Mm, and he's yes. not, and he's just, it's dollar signs he sees in Brian Cage. He does not give mm. a shit about this guy's biceps. Yes, I, yes. I I just thought the the announcing was excellent on tonight's show. I I believe this was one of Jim Ross's best dynamites, and I think he works so well off Jericho. And I I just thought on several matches tonight they enhanced the matches significantly by getting the stories across, and this was certainly one of them. I really like this match. I really like this finish. I actually thought this was one of my like favorite Moxley matches I've seen during this AEW run. Certainly during this title run. Um, I thought he was able to show like a really great versatility with his arm work and and his uh, uh, you know jujitsu that he was able to work in here. And of course, you still had your John Moxley crazy bumps here in the form of that guardrail German, as well as getting tossed on that oh man that that chair. 
So you had really the best of like, like, you know, like a very versatile Moxley performance. And I thought Cage did really well too. Afterwards, uh, Cage nails Moxley with the FTW title and the lights go out and Darby Allen returns. He comes off the top turnbuckle and nails Cage with the skateboard. Taz and all the officials are holding Cage back as Moxley is left there with Allen. And it looks like this is the detour of sending Cage off to feud with Darby. Uh, maybe at some point they'll revisit him and Moxley, but this seemed to be one and done in terms of Brian Cage challenging for the title. And that opens up the question of where Moxley's next direction is, which you would think leads to the pay-per-view in September. I, I At this point, I almost get the sense that it's it's Darby Allen, don't you? Like the way Allen came out here, I couldn't necessarily tell if it was like, hey, like you're my friend or hey, I want to be next in line for that title. You know, I, I think you have to go to Darby and Brian Cage. I I can't yeah. see them going to Moxley and, and Darby for, for that role. Well, um, when is the next pay-per-view? Labor Day weekend. So it's like the first weekend of September, like a month and a half. So you could do Allen versus Cage and then you could do potentially. You, you do could Moxley do that on TV. Allen. Yeah, you yeah. could do it on TV. Who, yeah. who do you see being the pay-per-view opponent? Like everyone be- looks at MJF as a potential. Um do, do you yeah. see that being something like Omega could uh, be in that role that quickly? Well, we've we've already seen Omega versus uh, Moxley. I mean, I think the freshest matchup at this point might be Darby Allen. I think it could be time to do Allen versus Moxley. You know, I don't think you have to have Moxley. Like, you don't have to have Allen win. Like, he that's it's a match he can, can lose and still look great in. But it's like a match between two guys who are fucking batshit crazy that I think would would potentially do well on pay-per-view. Do you still think it's going to be Jericho and Tyson at that pay-per-view? Oh God, who knows? Um, I mean, I have to b- imagine that they had something planned. Otherwise they wouldn't do the angle that they did. Right. So I, Jericho, I mean, Jericho did bring him up again on that Canada day when he was on commentary. But I mean, that's the last time we've had a reference to it uh, because if you've got that match, I think you can get away with like a lesser name in the AEW title match. And I also wonder, is Allen any lesser of a name than like uh, Brody Lee? I think, I think Allen's a bigger name than Brody Lee at this point. No, but I'd also say like, like much like this would be with Jericho Tyson, it would mean like Moxley is not the main event just as at the last one, I think it was the stadium stampede that became the, the big focus of that pay-per-view. Right. Yeah, we shall see. I mean, that's ultimately up to them what what they want to put on last. But, you know, it looks like Omega is still dealing. Like, he's got, like, several storylines, it seems, right now. There's no rush to get to there in, like, seven weeks. I agree. I think that's probably pushing it. And, I mean, MJF would just be the other one because they have been so heavy on that undefeated streak. And um, maybe maybe we'll get a signal on next week's episode if that's where where they are teasing a direction. But... Yeah, they could. I, you know, I do also feel like MJF is the type of challenger who, like, the first time he challenges, he should win. Like, to he either keep that streak alive or just like, where do you go after he challenges, right? Um, whereas I think if you want to put the belt on Mox a little bit longer, like Allen would, that match for the title, I think would, like, I'm excited. I would be excited for it. All right, let's go on over to forum.postwrestling.com and tonight. The forum gave this show a 7.46. 
We kick things off. Paul from New Jersey writes, Thought Sonny Kiss had a very good showing. That six-man was terrific. Jericho had too many one-liners to list, but I also enjoy that, like Bobby Heenan, Jericho will begrudgingly put faces over. That was a nice little touch. They even let Hikaru Shida talk. It wasn't the Austin 316 promo, but she is a champion, and her presence needs to be felt on a weekly basis. Gives his show an 8.3. We get an MJ who says, I really enjoyed tonight's edition of Dynamite, so there's no surprise there. I think the prospects of all these tag matches with FTR is a beautiful thing. So many times we say, what if X could face Y? And having FTR actually leave WWE to fulfill so many dream matches is awesome. Jericho saying Demo God was fantastic. He's been annoying with his ratings rants, but I will give all props if he turns Demo God into a thing. The guy keeps finding new funny ways to entertain. Sheeta cut a nice pre-tape promo. She's credible in the role in a way Rio was not. And lastly, Mox and Cage had a fantastic match. This to me was G1 caliber, and I'd put it up against some of the best Mox matches, and the use of submissions and holds really shows how far he's come. He, need a, he needed a strong title match after Hager and Lee. This was a nice bounce back. I thoroughly enjoy AEW using callbacks to things like Mox doing MMA training video packages or Mox and Darby's kinship. Cage looked great and they protected him really well using Taz at the end. Didn't feel like a fuck finish, just a way to avoid the visual of him tapping. No, it was. I thought it was very conclusive. Like, you throw in a towel, you have clearly won, while at the same time you've avoided your your actual wrestler having to actually tap out um, makes me a little surprised they don't use it more often. But I mean, then again, we don't really have a ton of managers these days in, 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 in other companies, I guess other companies. Yeah. Uh, Since we disagreed on this last week, did you have any different thoughts on the FTW title after seeing tonight's main event? Not really. I mean, I I really just saw it as a prop, Um, you know, so, so, so it never bothered me. Like the, the idea that AEW has too many titles. I mean, this to me just is more like a, you know, essentially having like a fake belt to taunt your opponent with. And I'm sure they'll come up with some bullshit reason about why he's still the FTW champion because he didn't tap out. Yeah. I think that's where you go with it. Um, Yeah. I, I don't see much purpose to it other than it's a prop for the guy, but maybe they have some larger idea of some payoff to it at, at, at some point. Okay, we go to Andrew from Cape Breton. I can't believe I'm going to say this. WWE is better at something than AEW when it comes to COVID-19 safety. Just saying that makes me think I'm living in a weird parallel universe, but here we are. It wasn't just the ringside people with no masks at times. I first noticed it when they shot Tully from the crowd. I get that they have extensive testing, but they're in Florida, which has become the new hotbed. I'll try to be positive the rest of the way, though. Now, that's uh, all really fair. I, I just want to say, like, sometimes, like, I, I say these things and I'm like, man, people must be so sick of, like, me talking about it. But I'm hearing it from Andrew and it's like, it's absolutely fair. All the grief we've given, to, uh, you know, about the way WWE has been handling it. I mean, like, now they are testing. Now they are um, keeping their audience distanced and they are forcing every single one of them, at least the ones that are on TV, to wear face masks. And, and they have a direct case now of someone that can – that went through the process of what – false negatives and false positives can can have. So it's like AEW, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Like the idea that, Oh, we've all tested. So we're all fine. Like that mm-hmm. just doesn't fly. And to me, like at this point now in the pandemic that your masks, it's, it's no longer to me something where it's like, well, if you don't feel like it, it's like, if you are going to this extent of running these shows now, I think it's imperative that that is that's that's your basis for entry into these shows. If you're going to be in these crowds, wear a mask. 
And I don't think that's uh, a hard thing to ask at this point. And God knows of all the costs involved in running shows, masks are the least of your worries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it, it would certainly, uh, I think, eliminate um, a lot of the concern that is seemingly, you know, not just you and I have. Um, one thing I'm noticing, though, is Cody seems to be picking undercard guys with bad records to have TNT title matches with. It reminds me of when Bret Hart was U.S. champion in WCW and wanted to take on challengers like El Dandy. But Sonny did well tonight. I mean, I understand that, but it's certainly not a heel thing at all. I, I guess you no. could use it as a heel reason down the line when he does turn heel, but it's more so the John Cena thing where the idea with this belt is to showcase people who otherwise don't really get the opportunity. Under underrated or people that just have not gotten the big break. He's he's giving them a break to yeah. try and and they do this really well on the road twos where Arn Anderson explains that it's him going to scout people and the goal is not for to find people Cody can run through. It's to find people that are going to push Cody to put him through something where he's going to learn but ultimately um, prevail in. But uh, like Arn does very good on those road twos when it comes to. Um, the whole philosophy of that. Hmm. Um, you're up. Okay, we got a note from Vaughn who says, uh, first off, glad to see Mass on those at ringside. T- uh, really interest- really entertaining episode this week. I thought Cody did a fantastic job of making Sonny look great in their match. The tag matches were super entertaining and I really liked the finish to the main event. Kept Cage as strong as possible in defeat by having him survive so long in the submission without tapping out. The Jericho segment was fantastic, and anyone hating on it is just being silly. Of course this character would call himself the Demo God. He still calls himself Le Champion, for God's sake, and he doesn't have a title. 8.5 out of 10 show tonight. I didn't even realize he didn't even have a belt. Yeah. (laughs) Jackie in Orlando, I know this is the unpopular opinion here, but I have not enjoyed Dynamite for some time now. The wrestling is phenomenal, of course, but personally, that isn't always enough to get me to tune in. I like to know why these guys are fighting rather than just have a wrestling match. I also think they play too much to their base. No new wrestling fan is going to understand Excalibur and Jericho's jokes about rating demographics. Loved Cage and Moxley, but otherwise, I found it to be another great wrestling show without much story. Very fair points, too. Um, You know, appreciate always, like, dissenting opinion uh when it comes to things like this because there are probably a lot of people who feel the same way jackie um but but i think both i i don't think if both are necessarily tied together like again i pointed out the same thing about the 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 demographic jokes that i don't think are going to land with everybody um but on tonight's show like cage and moxley i mean that that has had a story behind it for a long period of time uh with yes um you know, Cody, I mean, we know what, what story is going on there. Um, you know, the rest, if, if you want to point like Jurassic Express, that was very much like they were just plopped in to be opponents with Omega and and the Bucks. Like that didn't have anything lengthy behind it. Uh, FTR and the Lucha Brothers, it's, you know, it's it's more so a focus on FTR than it is uh, a feud between them. But I, I think tonight's show. But, like, they, the but main... all these things were set up like a week ago. Like they do yeah. have scuffles. And and that's to my point. Like I feel AEW, like there is a lot of story that goes into many of their characters. And when matches are announced, there typically is a reason for it. 
And if it's a cold match, it's often like met with like some excitement about, wow, that's a really cool match. Or so, there is there is an explanation about how like, uh, you know, uh, because they do have these rankings, even though, you know, it's not like something they talk about every single week. Every match does have a point, you know, like to, to score points, to try to get ahead in the rankings. Every match is for something. It's not just for nothing. I guess my my my, you know, agreement with Jackie was more so the idea that. Not every wrestling fan is going to understand the the rating dem- demographic stuff. Oh, I, I don't disagree at all. No. Right. Uh, but, you know, you also can't satisfy everybody, right? Like, you know, certain things you aim for the hardcores and hope the rest of the people catch on. Um, so, anyway. And, and a line like that, like, yes, it's going to hit with a certain base, but does it does it turn people off? Like, if you are not familiar with it, can you still just appreciate like what he's explaining to you as like a heel line? Like it right. doesn't mean it has to be one or the other. It just means it's going to have deeper meaning with a certain audience and the other are just going to take it at face value. I mean, as it's being spelled out to you. Hmm. Uh, my turn. Yes. We got to Anthony who says this was the first AEW show I watched from start to finish in weeks, mostly due to the curiosity of the sunny kiss versus Cody match. It was okay. I thought it was slower than I expected. The tag match was awesome, and I love the six-man tag. Jim Ross is a true professional because all those leg slaps must have drove him insane. The Chris... Chris Concentrate? Orange Cassidy segment was funny. My dad was also watching and loved every minute of it, including when Chris got hit with the juicy effect at the end. The Cage versus Moxley match was good. I take it the ending was to continue the feud, but I felt the time limit draw would make Cage look a bit stronger and a better justification for a rematch if there is one. Overall, I give it an 8.5, a healthy dose of vitamin C out of 10. Sorry for the long reply. Um, you know, they've been very, like, they, they've been very, they've used the time limit draws very sparingly. Uh, I don't, how many have we had? Like one? On That's TV, fun. I think it's only been one that they've, they've done and i i don't i don't see them going to the rematch at least not not right away i think they're going to spin cage off with, with darby coming out of this yeah i like this more i mean i think a time limit rematch would is is an easy crutch you know much in the same way like a i don't know dq finish might be uh that you could potentially fall into and it also just like you you have to be careful when you use it and, and uh, the other thing is i think moxley just needs a win what's wrong with having your champion beat a guy who even though he's supposed to be really strong him losing to the champion shouldn't necessarily hurt him all that much the champion should be able to beat everybody and i think you you know he needed he needed a win like this gerard writes uh, hadn't watched AEW in several weeks but turned tuned into the show for cage and moxley i liked it and it was one of cage's better matches having the match revolve around cage's biceps was a great idea and i liked the finish and it made sense Cody and Sonny Kiss was also good and the best match I've seen Kiss in. Kiss worked a lot stiffer than usual, and that helped uh, as well. Not totally against Vicky Guerrero managing Nyla Rose, but Rose's mic skills and charisma are good enough that she didn't need a manager. I'd like to see managers in AEW be like managers in the 80s where they manage multiple wrestlers. And finally, I really dug Jericho making reference to Johnny Smith on commentary. Always thought Smith was an underrated talent. Alex from Portland says, AEW doesn't need trios titles, but at the least, they need some sort of annual trios tournament. The six-man was filled with creative creative spots that highlighted everyone's strengths. Feels like it's incredibly 
uncommon to see characteristic moves that involved three men at once. Jericho bragging about being the demo god was more garbage than not. Makes AEW feel small time and petty. I always wanted Vicky to be a part of AEW but never saw where she'd fit in best, but appearing with Nyla Rose could be really fun. Tonight was a big win for Towels. <laughs> 6 out of 10. I love the idea of a trios tournament, especially like rather than a trios title, like an annual tournament, um, you know, much in the same way uh, like Shikara would do, I think would be fantastic. Well, uh, they have left the marketplace. So with it yeah. comes an opening for someone to pick up King of Trios and it might as well be AEW. Yeah. Once, once they have access to everybody, like you'd, you'd obviously want pack and, you know, people that are not around, um, you know, once you're at full strength, they could certainly do a trios tournament. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you could, you know, do like a winner gets, um, a, you know, a combination of a singles title match as well as a tag team title match, something like that. We're going to give you these three titles that are just props, uh, but they're not recognized by us, but you can carry them around. Kenny writes, weird show for me tonight, but one thing's for sure. I never want to hear a wrestler talk about ratings or demos ever again. I was really looking forward to the FTR Lucha Bros match, and it and it was good, but it felt like it never got to the next level. I can't help but think the roles were totally backwards. Lucha Brothers should be selling masks to little kids, and FTR should be making kids cry. I really enjoyed the six-man and was happy that Kenny Omega showed some balls after FTR made him look like a geek minutes earlier. Pissed off Kenny is better than milk drinker Kenny any day. Happy to see Vicky, and I'm honestly shocked that WWE doesn't own a trademark on Excuse Me. I hope that they give her a full stable, not just Nyla. I didn't love the main event, but that was a very interesting ending. I think I might not be a fan of Moxley when he isn't doing stunt show matches. 7 out of 10. The Excuse Me thing is is definitely of interest to me. The fact that like she was clearly trying to get Are You Kidding Me to be like a new catchphrase in the weeks that she's made appearances prior to this. And this week it didn't seem to be have any hold up. Yeah. I mean it's I mean obviously it's so connected to her WWE persona mm-hmm. but I mean it's just I don't know but the non lawyer in me is just like it's just such a basic phrase yeah. that you'd think that it would be very tough to be able to restrict such a basic question of excuse me but I mean that said to a wrestling fan you what say excuse fired? me is your fired trademark or no I mean it wasn't because uh Donald Trump used it way more after Vince McMahon introduced it. Yeah, and didn't he try to trademark it? Wasn't there something there? I don't know. Whatever. You could trademark anything. Uh, You can get a lawyer to pretty much take on anything, I feel. (laughs) Uh, My turn? Yes. We go to Raymond in Sacramento who says, Demo God, only Chris Jericho can do that. He worked a segment of the Twitter world into a tizzy, and then he calls himself the Demo God on live television. What a great worker. Love that guy and how he puts people over when he has the microphone on commentary. I am also very, very happy that Ivelisse and Diamante are getting a match on Dynamite next week and that Cheetah is going to have an open challenge for her title. Thunder Rosa is definitely the person most people want to see as the writing of this reply. Yes, because um, I believe Thunder Rosa has actually responded to the tweet saying, are you opening the challenge to everybody? So um, you think that's possible? Um, sure. Sure, why not? They're probably looking at different female talent. God, that would that would suck for NWA. Um, is well, she? I mean, is I mean, she on no, uh, I don't believe she is. I oh, mean, they they man. have a few people under contract, but I I don't know what the exact number is now. It was it's a small number, and I don't believe Thunder Rosa was one. So, 
I um, mean, who even knows what the future of NWA even is. So um, let's do one more here. Jay from Colorado. This is actually pretty funny. I've worked in sales for almost a decade, and I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that no one on this planet can sell like Ortiz. <laughs> one of the funniest guys on the roster, hands down, and a modern master of slapstick comedy. I mean, he was pretty great as he was doing like the uh, the the fish out of water on top of the orange juice in the ring. Yeah. Very very Vince McMahon like from the uh, the beer bash. You know, like when you're in a group of guys that are, I think, as funny as like Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho, or as like you know have big of a presence as like Jake Hager, you're gonna have to find ways to like make yourself stand out and to get people talking about you. And 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 Ortiz is definitely somebody who seems to be like using every time every appearance that he has on TV to get you to notice him and to remember him. So, yeah, I agree. All right. Well, that was uh thank you everyone for your feedback on the forum. A lot of feedback tonight. Um we will see if that translates into uh AEW's audience tomorrow and if the total viewers uh reflect the demos <laughs> on Jeez. Thursday afternoon. Are we getting a whole generation of people that are just going to be incredibly like knowledgeable about like ratings and you know, um, what else? Like breakdowns and charts and all that shit. If he really wants to just, uh, just, just throw throw a match onto the gasoline at at four fifteen p.m. tomorrow, Chris Jericho is just going to tweet out, <laughs> yes, und- undefeated. <laughs> He's got to like show the quarter hours, like <laughs> everything. Please, he should be our new WrestleNomics. The funny part, I'm not the first person to mention this, but this November, Chris Jericho will be out of the demographic. Oh, wow. So he could be the demo god, but not be in the demo. He's going to be in, the, he's going to be graduating to the 50 plus demo on November the 9th. Damn. Wow. That sounds like, uh, you know, like fodder for a promo for a baby face. If there's anyone that could work something like that in it is probably him so i think he should have a match against an 18 year old i literally like wrote that down oh. actually i i thought about it i didn't write it down uh but i was com- i was actually thinking during that thing like that would be hilarious to have an 18 to 49 demographic <laughs> match between chris jericho you just gotta find an 18 year old like i'm sure you can find an indie uh, uh independent worker that's 18 that's oh, out there great. awesome that's a great idea all right that's going to wrap up the show, everybody. UFC is still going on. It's been a night of decisions. The uh, The main event is next with uh, Kelvin Cater and Dan Ige. Uh, so anyway, we'll have a report up late on Wednesday night from Eric Marcotte. So make sure that you catch what Marcotte is writing on postwrestling.com. Go check out Up Next with Braden and Davey. Way and I will be back Friday night, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And we'll go through SmackDown and uh, also take a look ahead at the two pay-per-views that are coming up this weekend. Are you, do you think that you'll sample any impact on Saturday? Uh, I may, I may, yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, at the very least, I'll be following the buzz of like, you know, who will be uh, showing up. I, um, and uh it probably can't be rusev now right oh no way the guy's positive can't Can't. i guess he could send in a video he you could do something like that yes he's got quite the setup when it comes to i mean his twitch stream and i mean he's got like a mini studio there i mean it's an empty arena show so like it makes no difference whether or not he's actually there 
No, so. you're right. Yeah, you could you could still reveal someone without them physically being there. But yeah, that's the big hook on the show. I think more than crowning a new Impact champion, it's who, it just who, who's showing up. So so um, apparently, like Gallows and Anderson are supposed are, are two people that are reportedly yeah they're signed. they're in. So I I would imagine that we're getting them on Saturday. I don't see mm-hmm. why you would hold that off. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because I've been I've been watching Impact every week and it's. It is pretty difficult now when you're seeing all the other shows that are using people in the crowd and they are not. But I I I don't feel like that's a fair thing to criticize at all, at all. when they no. are being this, they're being very safe and I I'd, I'd much rather that than we're looking at people that are maybe not distancing properly, not keeping their masks on. So it's like, yeah, it hurts the atmosphere, but it's a safer atmosphere. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um are, are, do you, did you want to go through the card either uh, on Thursday or sorry on Friday or uh, would you want to let's, go through let's go through Slam Reversary right now let's save uh, we'll do an Extreme Rules preview on Friday but let me just uh, pull up the card here for Slam Reversary well I've got it right here so maybe we'll okay. just go go through the uh, yeah. the bottom to the uh, up first um, at least this is the order on Wikipedia you have Ace Austin taking on Eddie Edwards taking on Trey taking on TBA in a fatal four-way match for the vacant Impact World Championship. Yeah, so one of the mystery people is showing up for the fourth slot in this match. This was originally going to be the sixth, the sixth way with Tessa Blanchard defending and Michael Elgin being part of the match. So they've had a really difficult time. I won't say super difficult time. They've relied on promos from the other three, and they did a segment involving Trey and uh, Ace Austin this week at the Rockstar Pro Wrestling Gym in Ohio. But... All the TV was shot where they thought they were building to a five-way match, um, and then they had to change everything around. So it's so been, how, have they, how have they worked around that? I mean, it's just been – I don't know what was originally shot, but they pretty much have just had to have – like, it's – the TV leading up, it has not been the most inspiring TV. It's been just a lot of, like, matches and pre-produced promos and stuff like that to lead you in the direction, but – I mean, they were really handicapped here because they had they, they their champion. It, they vacated the title, which I mean, they did know her contract was coming up. So I mean, that was not completely outside of their control. But then the Elgin stuff occurred, and they just had to change their their whole main event around. So I mean, they've made do with it. But um, yeah, so that that's what they've got is probably just trying to piece together TV that makes sense going into a pay-per-view that you had shot expecting to promote a very different main event. Jordan Grace defending the knockouts championship against Deanna Perazzo. Yeah, they've, they've given a, a very big focus on Deanna Perazzo coming in. I think they, they could do the title change here. Um, they did, they did a very small contract signing in a back room on a table uh, this past week. And yeah, I, I think I the, mean, that sounds to me like the most realistic contract signing that that there can be. It was. Where it was like sign a contract. It was like a well, it wasn't like out in the <laughs> ring or anything like that. It was just like a very, uh, and then Deanna just like smash or Jordan like smashed her face into the table. So we still got physicality as most contract signings end in the real world. Um, I could see the title change here. Um, mm-hmm. They're you know they've got a super deep women's division which. Um, you know, you'll get a sense of here when you read off all the people in this gauntlet match. Yeah. Before that, though, uh, X Division Championship, Willie Mack defending against Chris Bay. Yeah, they did an angle. So Johnny Swinger will not be in Chris Bay's corner. 
Uh, so he'll be taking on Willie Mack. Um, yeah, I, I, I think like it'll probably be a fine match. Um, I, I just, uh, I'm believing ahead of time that, you know, atmosphere is going to be, I would imagine people watching this pay-per-view that haven't been watching the empty arenas. That's going to be a sticking point for some. And that's a match where, especially for this, like an X division match that, um, it, it will take some of the life out of it, but they'll probably have a, a average match at least. Gauntlet for the gold match to determine the number one contender for the Knockouts Championship. You have Alicia Edwards, Havoc, Kira Hogan, Kimberly, Kylie Ray, Navia, Madison Rain, Rosemary, Susie, Tasha Steeles, and Taya Valkyrie. Uh, yeah, wow. A lot of This names. is like their, their Royal Rumble style match. So they'll start with two people and then have people come in every whatever the intervals are. So that's kind of Can their... you see any surprises for, for this one? I, I yeah yeah I could totally see this being a spot where you bring in you know some uh, female that's that's available. You could, this is certainly a match that lends itself to surprises, so I, I could see that happening. And if that's the case, um, you could you could put the surprise entrant over um, and just kind of skyrocket them. But this is like they've got a very deep division. We focus a lot on NXT's women's division, but Impact it's. Like, they've got a really great women's division. Like, they've got a, a wide range of different characters. Um, uh, Susie is the former Sue Young, so she's kind of got the dual personality gimmick where she's, like, this, like, innocent, uh, almost, like, cartoon character. And then she's got, like, the dark Sue Young persona as well. Um, so this is Susie, the uh, babyface version. And it Kylie Ray has been a great pickup for them as well. Um yeah, Kira Hogan is as well. Like they, they, I, I just really enjoy their their women's division. So, um, yeah, this is like your Royal Rumble style. It's not, uh, but I, I think this should turn out well. It's a real good showcase for their women's division. Just to have a graphic out there where you can see, wow, look at all these women they've got under contract. The North taking on Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan for the Impact Tag Team Championships. I actually think this has been the best match that they have promoted. Um, Shamrock and Sammy Callahan, they're doing the, you know, the the former, like, blood rivals that have now come together. Um, but Ken and Sammy are, they're working together, but they don't trust each other. And Sammy told a story on Impact this week about the frog and the scorpion. Where the scorpion, okay. the scorpion said... Man, I, I, I really don't want to butcher this story, but he the he said, "Do you, damn, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna the screw." Frog this said to the scorpion, or the scor the frog said to the scorpion. Um, uh, I think the scorpion asks the frog to give me to give him a ride across the water, and the frog says, "But you're gonna sting me." And the scorpion says, I promise, I'm not going to sting you. Just help me out. And then the frog takes him across, and then the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog says, why did you do that? And the scorpion says, because I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. And this is Sammy Callahan explaining this. They cut to Ken in another shot and says, well, if the scorpion stings the frog, well, the frog might just break your neck. And it was Ken Shamrock delivering this with the most serious response, and it was awesome. Um, 
The North are a fantastic team. These two are great. Ethan Page and Josh Alexander. I mean, they, they've been a longtime team together uh, based out of Ontario. Um, it, it's a good feud. They're a really great heel tag team. Uh, and I mean, the you frog could, might break your neck. The frog and the scorpion. We will see if they get together. Maybe it's going to be uh, Sammy Callahan with a scorpion deathlock, followed by Ken, who's been doing a lot of high flying during his impact run with a frog splash. A full circle storytelling right there. Yes, that's where we go. Maybe we'll get the title change. And the real main event, John, an old school rules match for the unsanctioned TNA World <laughs> Heavyweight Championship. Moose defending it against Tommy Dreamer. Old school rules. What does that mean? It means six it means it means you're going sprinting in the quad naked. Did you ever see Old School? Yeah, of course I have, yes. It's been a while. They were always talking about doing a sequel. I'm really glad they never did a sequel. Just let the first one speak for itself. You know it can't live up. No. Right? Especially if it's one of these, like, oh, 20 years later, there's the gang again. No. I, I no. don't want to see that. Um, yeah, this is like their their fake title. Um, Tommy Dreamer cut a, a big shoot promo on Moose on TV. Um, Moose will win this match. That's that's what's going to happen here. He's going to destroy Tommy Dreamer, and it'll probably be uh, your hardcore match on the show. Thank you so much, John, for this impromptu uh, little preview. I feel like I'm all caught up now, uh, along with, of course, Davey Portman's uh, write-ups as well at postwrestling.com if you're looking for a bit more detail about everything that's going on on that show. I won't lie. I looked at the UFC results, and I realized that uh, we're not at the main event yet, and I've got to stay up regardless to... Uh wait to uh, post this report. So I figured, uh, let's kill some time. We'll preview oh, anniversary. Okay. So I, right. I, I, I did have an ulterior, uh, motive. Well, honestly, now it's the end of the, the show. Best policy. Yes. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, I enjoyed this show way. I thought it was a good one. As did I, as always. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. We'll speak with you Friday night after SmackDown. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.